Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. You want the instruments to come at you sort of like um, starships, you know? So if they're coming out of the speakers, you'll sit there and go, well, I want part of that bit to be split off and some of it come from here and some of it come from underneath. And you're constantly making shapes. And the engineers were very much about the shape. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Schoenier. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Liquid Diamonds, the seventh track from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. David. Hey, Eve. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm fine. Just fine. <laughs> long time no talk. I know. It actually has been a long time since we've spoken. Tell me everything. Oh, there's too much to tell and not enough time in which to tell it. All right. We'll just move on then. Straight into Liquid Diamonds. <laughs> I'm excited to be talking about Liquid Diamonds. Do you remember the first time you ever heard Liquid Diamonds? I do. I remember the first time it penetrated my ears. Should we talk about that? Yeah. Penetrate our ears with your ear penetration story. Okay. Well, the first time I heard it was definitely the first time I listened to the album as a whole. And I have to say, I think this might be my favorite song from Choir Girl at this point. But that was Really? Yeah, I think so. But that was definitely not the case upon first listen. I think this is a grower, not a shower for sure and it does not reveal itself to you or its secrets to you easily which i think totally makes sense given the subject matter of the song but i think <laughs> it's definitely not as showy as most of the other choir girl songs so i think it can get a little lost it's kind of mid-tempo it kind of meanders in a good way but it doesn't kind of sock you in the face like an iie mm-hmm. or a cruel yeah so <laughs> <laughs> take that i would like every time a song would start on this album i would flinch like oh oh it's gonna be okay and then i made oh, oh stop yeah, it stop I, it i made it through liquid diamonds unscathed and i was like ooh Ooh, that was like seven minutes of smooth jazz. I don't even know what happened, <laughs> but <laughs> it's water jazz. Yeah, it's a new genre, water jazz, mm-hmm. underwater jazz. So, but I think over time, I've come to really, really appreciate the song. How about you? I remember hearing this song for the first time when I saw the EPK. I think the EPK came out a little bit before the album, and there's that moment where she's in the studio with the song playing. Let's roll that, Oliver. I've arrived here with loads of Nurofen. As you can see on the desk, we have the 400s because nothing less works. And at this point, I'm at mixing stage 
my crew has fled. They've all gone um, for two hours, so you don't get to see them, but I work with a team of people. Um, I couldn't do it without them. This is the second time I've produced. The first time I did it, I swore I'd never do it again. And uh, of course, here I am doing it again. Well, when I'm facing this board, I love that, you know, I love this board, obviously. It's our board, but um, my crew has put a dollar on it and called it a turkey. <laughs> so if you could see the dollar bill, it's been acting up. And I mean, I adore it, but as with anything, it takes such patience. Strong points in production from my end are um, trying to hear the soul of the song to put aside any logical argument. I work on instinct. Music is, it's obviously it's etheric and you can't touch it. But in the mixing, I'm very much about, it has to become visual, it has to translate on that level. Now obviously it'll translate to you differently than it will to me, but I feel if I've seen a picture, you'll see your own picture but at least it'll go into that realm. I have, over time, grown to appreciate the song tremendously because I started out appreciating the song tremendously. <laughs> and uh -huh. I've continued to love it ever since. I love, the your, moment I I love it. your revisionist history. You start every story Thank with, you. I hate new things, and then you immediately say, but I loved it right away. <laughs> I did. There's no other Tory song that fades in, at least up to this point That's in true. her catalog. And like fades her, out. Yeah, and so, and fades out. And I felt like there was a lot going on at that time musically where there were a lot of acts doing that, where the whole album would be like just one continuous cycle or fade in and fade out into things. And I just loved that it kind of crept in that way. I just felt like it was very unassuming, like liquid. You couldn't hold it in your hand. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you could cup it, uh -huh. I guess, <laughs> try to carry it to the well or from the well. This song is loose. Yeah, you're right. It just flows yeah. right through your hands like water. I have to imagine mm -hmm. that this is one of the loosest songs we've gotten on record from her <laughs> up until this point, aside from maybe like a voodoo. Loose. That's pretty loose, right? No, but I mean, voodoo has its structure, right? Like whenever you're going into time signature changes like that, yeah, you can kind of meander within a section, but she knows what she's doing on Voodoo. She knows when she's going to change. Yeah, and we have that bridge here, which we'll get to obviously, but we assume that it was largely improvised and it was probably never the same twice. So You're talking about the part where she doesn't even bother to transcribe lyrics for it. Right, when she's like screaming for her <laughs> jeans and daddy's preaching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Connie! Connie! We, we think. I need those jeans <laughs> we know it's yeah connie. we do yeah connie connie and peggy ann so everything good good on your end how's e your quarantine everything's good nothing much has changed but i'm really ready to discuss this song and as you and i kind of discussed very briefly off air we really think this song really has a lot to do with surrender and i feel like life right now for everyone is just an exercise in surrender and letting, really is, letting yes. go of things you can't control and focusing more on how you're going to react to something. So I think this song is coming mm -hmm. along at the perfect time. And I really do just want to make myself more like a Lakewood diamond. Lakewood diamond. Flow through the sieve of life <laughs> without any resistance. Lakewood. Yes, Lakewood. Lakewood. <laughs> 
I agree. We are starting the second half of Choir Girl. Yeah. And we are in the second half of the year. And we may actually finish this album prior to the end of the year. There's no reason why we shouldn't. <laughs> Knock on like wood. <laughs> Can you imagine knocking out an entire album in one year? Unprecedented. Un- unprecedented so far because we spent like four or five years in Ireland. We got lost in hell. Who can blame us? We were trying to find the talisman. Well, I kind of can't wait to finish off this album so we can get blasted into space in 2021. Get me off this oh, planet. I can't wait. <laughs> Do you think there's quarantine on Venus? Maybe. <laughs> if you were going to quarantine, you'd go to Venus if you could. <laughs> You know I would. That's what Tori's friend said. And she was like, oh, girl. <laughs> you know what? At this point, having never met her, I am very, very invested in your friend Liz's opinions from 1998. So <laughs> yes. I, would, I would like to know what she thought about Liquid Diamonds on first listen and how that informed your opinion, because apparently you were very influenced by her. <laughs> and you were like, oh, Liz likes it. It I, must be kind of cool. I mean, I can only imagine she loved the song. I recall her swaying her hips to the beat. I recall her loving this song. Yeah. yeah. Who doesn't love this song? I believe it. Have you moved forward at all on booking her for the wrap-up episode? I assume she's very busy, so we have to start asking now if we want to get her in December. Well, she, she did become a welder after I moved away from Albuquerque, so... Um, I'm sorry. Did she manage to live my flash dance fantasy by becoming a dancing welder? <laughs> Minus the dancing part. Yeah. But I'm hoping that we get her on the wrap-up episode because now she's the stuff legends are made of. Yes, for sure. She's one of our cast of characters. She's one of our legends. Legendary children. Mm, well, how did your friends feel about it? You were friends then with friends that I have now. And how were they with Liquid Diamonds? I don't think a lot of people were super fond of this song. Again, not that they disliked it by any means. Not that they disliked it by any means, but it kind of slips through the cracks. So I don't really know what people thought of it. And I still don't know, really. But I do know that Tori did, and probably still does, consider it one of her favorites. Despite the fact that she didn't talk about it directly very much at all. Mm -mm. She performed it live a lot. She still does. And you and I were watching one of the club shows recently when she talked to it like it was a baby. And when she does that, you know it's one of her favorites when she does baby talk. Do you remember that? She was like, I do. This is another new song. This is one of my songs. This is called Liquid Diamonds. Liquid <laughs> so we know this song makes Tori feel like squishy or something. She's very fond of it, one has to assume. <laughs> I agree, and I think that's true to form, true to Tori's form anyway, that if because she's so fond of it, she's not going to be talking about it a lot. It's just going to kind of hold it close to the chest, mm. right? Keep it under her toop. You really think that's how it works? The songs that are her favorite, she kind of avoids talking about? Yeah, I think so. Or at least doesn't call them out as being her favorites. I'm thinking something like Honey. I mean, we know that Honey is one of her favorite songs, but she doesn't really talk, hasn't really talked about it, anything about what it's about. Right. Aside from, you know, mourning the fact that it wasn't on the album. Same with Cooling. Yeah. You're right. And obviously those are B-sides, so maybe she doesn't have as much of an opportunity. Like if a journalist isn't digging deep, they might not even know those songs right. exist. But you're right. She doesn't right. volunteer a lot of information about them. And in fact, one could argue, and I'm gonna, she doesn't even remember when they were recorded. Are you preempting our Cooling episode? I have to, lay, I have to lay the ground work and you know make it clear what side i'm on so that when we get there people aren't shocked and appalled this will not come as well, a surprise to anybody so should we talk about our guests we've got something to blow your minds mm, it's not even a gigantic whirlpool well it is but it's full of women <laughs> surrender we had so many people wanting to be on this show that we said we only want women on this episode yeah and we had 
plenty. We had plenty to choose from. So we have one woman, Alicia Scholl, coming in to discuss the history and the quotes section with us. Alicia Scholl, we speak your name. Then Laura Crum will be here to discuss the lyrical analysis of this song. Laura Crum, we speak your name. <laughs> Sorry, that's what Oprah does. I feel the need to do it. <laughs> then we have Cecily Link. You may remember her from having been on our Crucify episode. She was on our Silent All These Years episode, I think. Also Blacked Up. She's been on so many times, and she's going to be here to discuss the musical section of the show with us. I love it. Cecily Link is like our very own Poppy. She's a recurring character. You never know when she's going to show up. Then we have perhaps the most feminine woman of them all, Shaggy. He'll be doing a Sincerely Shaggy. Mm. And then we have an interview with a super fan, Pamela Rollin. She'll be here to talk about what she thinks and loves about Liquid Diamonds. And that's it. That's a lot of guests. That is a lot of guests. You know, just like the men in the gay bars taught Tori how to be a woman, I learned everything I know about being a woman from Shaggy. That's what's happening here on this show. Surrender, then start your vaginas. (laughs) (laughs) David wrote that joke yesterday and didn't believe that I would say it. I give it to you. I give it to you. And also I was torn between start your vagina or start your uterus, which is better, which is funny. Vagina. Okay. A uterus is clunky and it doesn't roll off the tongue. That's true. And I guess a vagina does. If I'm going to imagine anything having like a power source that one can rev up, it would be a vagina for sure. So yeah, you're right. Should we talk about our Patreon supporters? Yes. Who are they? Where are they? Brandon Valenzio upped his pledge. Hey, Brandon. That is so generous. That is so on Brandon for Brandon Valencia. <laughs> then Brandon Hellman also upped his pledge to the $25 level. Hi, Brandon. We're lousy with Brandon. Set the sat-nav to Hellman. Amanda joined our Patreon. She's a new subscriber. Hi, Amanda. I love the confidence of subscribers who just go by one name, like Cher or Madonna. Like, yeah, it's Amanda. Right. Like, what, what more do you need it's to Amanda. know? Duh. And Louise Hung. Louise Hung, my friend Louise Hung, who you heard on Never Shut Up. She's amazing. She came in as a new subscriber. Hung 10, hunty. <laughs> I want to go where Louise goes. <laughs> Emily Cousins has joined us again. Don't ever leave us. I couldn't take it. We'll take Cousins by the dozens. Mm. And Hudgens. We'll take Hudgens by the dozens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Huggins from Hudgens. Michael Gilly. I want to say, I want to Frenchify his name. It could be Gillies. Michael Gillies, or it could be Gilly or Gilles. Gilles. Michael Gilles. Either way, we both look like the Raining Blood character from Strange Little Girls when we say it. I'm wearing a beret and smoking. <laughs> Natalie Lodico Bond upped her pledge this month. On the bond. On the Lodico Bond. <laughs> My Natalie is moistening. Marianne Donnarumma is back. It's just a fun name to say. It really is. I'm having a lot of thoughts about Marianne Donnarumma. And then last but not least is Fabian Campos. Hola, Fabian. Your apocalypse was Fabian. Your apocalypse was Fabian. (laughs) I love that. And we'd like to give a special warm shout out to Shay Stymack for putting together our show notes, as Mm. she always does, with love, with care, with attention. Shay Render, then start your engines. That one was too easy, so I came up with two. Are you ready? Yes. There's a Shay Shake grid in me. Damn it! That was going to be my second one. It's plain to Shay that it is (laughs) Rysheng. Yes. Uh-huh. Calling for my shell uh-huh. at the corner of the world. I know Shay's playing uh, poker. With the rest of the Shay's Wranglers. <laughs> we could do this all catalog. Yes, we can. And yes, we will. If you will, we will, Shay. I go inside a shell. <laughs> the offering is molasses. Yeah. And your Shay. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Bum, bum, bum. 
God. <laughs> Thanks, Shay. Thank you for everything you do for us oh, and thank the community. You f- yeah, thank you for the gift that is you and your name. <laughs> We'd also like to say thanks and shout out to James Farron, who put together the live section of the notes for this episode. Mm. Do all those jokes work for James? James Render? Then start your James-gins? No. Um. <laughs> you turn on at the James in the road? See, you it doesn't work on, as well. No, it doesn't. Shay really is a gift. Right. Well, on that note, should we get started? Should we just drive this train into Womantown? Yes. <laughs> We're moving on from Bentley Helms right to Womantown. I'm ready to learn how to be a woman. I'm ready just to surrender and start my education. Me too. Get Shaggy over here and tell him to bring a banana. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think you do. There's not too many covers out there of Liquid Diamond. So if you're feeling like, oh, I shouldn't do a cover of a Tori Amos song, it's been done. Just do it. Get it out there. Send it to us. Lynn Nettleton, we're talking about you. And I would like to say that applies to every person and every Tory song. If you think you should cover it, you should. The world needs another cover of Velvet Revolution. Or Liquid Diamonds, which this is one. And this is Sona's Factory with their cover of Liquid Diamonds live. And it's very good. And we'll link to it in our show notes, songsoftoryamus.com. say what do you think about and the, the biggest thing I think about when I'm performing is how am I going to get this spit out of my mouth <laughs> because when you're playing right and you're pounding on keys and you're trying to hit the notes and I have a keyboard on my left and a keyboard on my right and the Busendorfer is nine feet so you have to pound pretty hard to get sound out of her and so sometimes you're just trying to make sure you hit the right notes and you don't like trip over your chords and everything that's around you and then you're hitting these notes well, what are you going to do with that stuff in your mouth? <laughs> so these things, I mean, I know it's not very glamorous, but that's what I'm telling you. That's it's not very glamorous. Thinking. And so sometimes, you know, you have to heave-ho a little bit on the diaphragm to get that um, sound out. And people think you're like five months pregnant. And it's like, no, I just ate post last night. That's what happened. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to get rid of this bit in my mouth. So yeah. what do you usually do with it? You just... Let it run out of the side of my mouth. But I try and do it the left side because the audience is usually the right side. So I always choose the side they're not at. You know, you get good at aiming. You start trying to aim over to where the drummer is. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we're back. Are you ready to begin your descent, David, into womanhood? I'm ready for my descent into womanhood. Are you ready to get drenched with sound? Because that's what's going to happen. I, I've never been more ready to be drenched, David. Let's do it. Let's get wet. There's a whole section of Tory songs that we'll just never understand because we aren't women. So we decided with this episode, we're going to invite a series of women, a series of trusted supporters and friends to come and shine the light on this song for us. And the first in that series of women is Alicia. She's a friend and supporter from Portland, Oregon, and she has a band called Starlash, which you can find on starlash.bandcamp.com. She's right here to discuss the history of this song with us. Hi, Alicia. Hi, guys. Hi, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Tell us about your love of Liquid Diamonds. How did it begin? Where is it at now? Tell us the intimate details. First time I heard it was when it came out. I was a Boys for Pele fan. That's kind of where I started. And so I was right there waiting for the album to come out, all the speculation, looking online on what it might be like. And then it did not disappoint. And Liquid Diamonds is one of the the ones that sticks with me the most that really takes me to another place for sure. So are you ready to discuss history of the song, Alicia? Absolutely. Okay, you're here to school us all, not only on the song, but on what it means to be a woman. Woman. You are here representing all women. Right. Wow, no pressure. (laughs) Okay, so Liquid Diamonds appears as the seventh track on From the Choir Girl Hotel with drums by Matt Chamberlain, Hey Sexy, Love Marcel drum programmer Andy Double Mental Wicked Gray, bass George Porter Jr., and Boozy and Carbon Vox by Tori Amos. What does that mean? A carbon microphone is like basically like singing into a telephone. So like you can hear on the song, there's kind of places where her voice shrinks a little bit and sounds more, well, like it's coming out of a telephone. You know what I mean? Like there's been like a high pass filter? Yeah. That's the only place it really appears. She performs it live. In 2005, it appears on one original bootleg from Manchester, June 6, 2005. Let's take a listen to that. I was at that show. Do you remember this performance? You know, I can't say that I do remember this specific performance. I think this was this performance was overshadowed by her screaming at Morrissey. <laughs> wow, Morrissey manages to ruin a lot of things, even when he's not even there. <laughs> right. If I recall correctly, she did Liquid Diamonds, and it was like two songs later, like she's shouting about Morrissey's penis, and I was just so scarred, and I, had, I couldn't wait to leave the auditorium to tell everyone. Whoa. <laughs> Um, Okay, so next time we see Liquid Diamonds, uh, we don't see it for, I guess, two years on the Legs and Boots series, but it appears on six Legs and Boots, Philly, Toronto, Indianapolis, Chicago, Melbourne, and Dallas. So that's a lot of Legs and Boots. That is a lot of Legs and Boots. Do you think she was trying to make up for the fact that Liquid Diamonds was left off of a piano? Well, I don't know necessarily consciously she's trying to make up for that. What do you think, Alicia? I think she's trying to make up for the fact that there's no official Plug 98 bootleg, which is a tragedy in itself. Please, someday. Yeah, seriously. Open your vaults, woman. I love this song live. There's something about this song. Like, this song never disappoints. There's nothing. I just adore this song. I do as well, and I think Tori really enjoys playing it, for sure. It doesn't show up often, but when it does, it's always special. Yeah, I think it's such a deep, sorrowful song, but it's so elegant and funky at the same time. It's 
hard to pull off, but she does it beautifully. I love that you call it elegant because it really is. It like it just sort of unfolds. It just sort of develops over like the six or seven minutes that it is. There is something really graceful about it. I agree. And with the production, it positively shimmers. Ooh. That is elegant. <laughs> <laughs> You called it funky. And I remember in a, like a pre-show conversation that we had, you said when you uh, listened to this song that you it would make you cry in a funky way. Oh, yeah. You can absolutely cry in funky way and dance to it while feeling sad. I kind of like take inspiration from that because the music that I'm putting out soon is called Dance Music for Depressives. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's so funky. And then live especially in 98 when she played it like you know Kate on guitar there it's just so jazzy I think Tori's so underrated as an instrumentalist you could say she's a straight-up jazz player like especially when she played with the band especially in this song you could hear like those jazz piano lounge chords coming out you know and with all the improv she does she doesn't get as much credit as she should I think especially this song you can see she's like a jazz player on piano you know i agree yeah. with that i endorse yeah it's so unique though because it, it kind of draws more from a classical palette rather than jazz chords but in this song is one of the like <laughs> rare times where you can see like a definite jazz influence on it. and space dog too i love like the, there's yeah. like something so jazzy about that god i love it i love it all speaking of tori's influences i want to ask you both something do you think tori would ever cite herself as an influence on herself <laughs> Yes. And I'm asking <laughs> I'm asking the visualettes, you know, that was the Right. <laughs> yes. I was just so inspired by seeing my own characters that I created visualettes around them. <laughs> I saw me and then I was like, me should write an album about me. Who did you grow up listening to? Oh myself, mostly. <laughs> she started playing the piano when she was two. Can you believe it? <laughs> I started playing the piano when I was two so I'd have something to listen yeah. to. <laughs> Music was garbage up until that point. Why do you ask, David? I'm asking thank you for a specific reason, believe it or not. And that reason is because when I listen to this song, to my ear, that kind of low piano riff right before the chorus of I guess I'm an underwater thing, to me, those are the same exact notes um, from God after when the wind blows right before she goes back into the verse of God, sometimes you don't come through. You know what I'm talking about? The boom, boom, boom. It's like exactly the same. I love an aural comparison. Roll it, Oliver. When the wind blows, yeah, good ear. Good ear, David. Yeah, she has phrases that she'll sprinkle in in different songs. This is her sound, you know? Those are her, like, signature phrases, you know? Like, the piano breakdown in IIE Live also occurs in here in my head and her lid part. Well, Oliver, since you got your grubby mitts on that soundboard there, why don't you go ahead and play the second cue up? And she said here in my head, but she meant upside down. <laughs> I never recognized those things. You guys are great. Do you think Tori's aware of it? Do you think she's consciously not repeating herself, but I don't know. I think as an instrumentalist, you have certain go-to ways that your hand just plays that sometimes you put in, like especially if you're soloing or something on guitar or piano, there's just certain little bits 
that people go to, but fortunately hers are unique to her. Although sometimes when you can hear like a guitarist that does like a cheesy line, you know, you kind of see that it's playing the same scale over and over. I agree. I think she must be aware of it as well. And I think she even like thinks, oh, they'll never know. She gets like (laughs) sneaky, you know, she's like, I'll just throw that in there. The interesting thing about Liquid Diamonds is she completely varies the intro every time. Like the studio version, I'm not sure if she's ever played that exactly the same. She improvises and every time it's unique, which is amazing. I love those songs where she comes in, like it gives her so much room to, like she's kind of got the riff, she's kind of got the basic melody, but she, I agree, she does continue to improvise around that theme and I love it. I lo- like it happens sometimes on Butterfly too, like when she's trying to get into Butterfly, like the beginning, it's always got that dun 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 dun, but it's it works its way up to that, you know? And I love those songs. That reminds me of this quote that you have in here where she's talking about how the piano has more room now that she has a band and doesn't have to be the whole band. Thank God we have Alicia here to keep us on track, David. I know. Let's get to the quotes. We're up in the weeds already. (laughs) I know. We're just so excited to have a friend. It's like the piano herself when she first joined the band. Let's start with this first one. This is from Piece by Piece, and we decided to put it in the Liquid Diamonds episode, though it's not specifically about Liquid Diamonds. Do you want to read this one, Alicia? Let's start with you. You know what? I think one of you would be better to read this one, honestly. (laughs) This is from Piece by Piece. Now, this isn't specifically about Liquid Diamonds, but we decided to include it here, and I think you'll see why. Tori says, I wrote a song during the recording of Little Earthquakes that never got released. And one of the lines was, boy, masturbating down the hall in the dark. That's how it starts. I can't remember much more, but I do remember the next verse. I have 50 hearts. They are all in 50 different drawers. With you calling, I always put the purple one on. If I dumped all 50 out on the living room floor, would you say clean up that mess before I get home? home. It was just one of those moments of seeing 50 different girls inside myself. There's a girl who goes and does business. There's a girl who attends church. There's a girl who has sex too. She knows her trade. There were so many girls I couldn't keep track of the keys to the hotel. And the men I was dating at the time may or may not have seen these divisions. Here I was declaring myself a steward of the Magdalene, (laughs) uniting the two Marys. And yet in my life, I was the complete opposite. That was the paradox. Gosh, I can't imagine why she didn't release this song. I mean, that's such an amazing first (laughs) line. (laughs) Boy, masturbating in the hall in the dark. (laughs) I would be hooked at that point. Tell me more. I'm listening. Just out of curiosity, do you think that line about the heart, specifically the purple heart, was reworked and integrated into Take to the Sky? Because in the backing vocal, she says, wearing those purple panties, wearing her heart. Oh, interesting. Hmm, Interesting. It would make me think more of Detura, of like, is there room in my heart? Well, I still want to see that song, and I'm going to remind her about it on the next tour. (laughs) But I like the idea of the girls, the different girls. She's already playing with this idea of they're all in separate rooms. This is like six years prior, at least. She's saying it in 2005, but the Little Earthquakes period is at least six years before 97, right? So she's talking about that she's all of these different things, and she's singing about uniting them, but she's not quite uniting all of these pieces, right? Is that how you're taking this? Yeah, I think that Tori is so, she's a musician, but she's also almost like a self-help counselor in the way that she talks in a lot of interviews, which was like super helpful as a teenager growing up. You didn't know where to turn for some good advice. It's in, I think she's kind of saying how you can give good advice, but you don't always take it yourself. Like everybody is 
flawed. It's not like you know the truth and then you're done, you know? No, you're so right. Yeah. Why don't you read this quote from Upside Down Fanzine, issue four, summer 1994. There was a commitment to my papa's life that was living art. He believed that anything you did or saw was art. He saw art in everything. It didn't matter what it was, be it nature or structures. He looked at the art in it. He said, you will see life differently if you look for the creativity in it. When you look at things that way, you see everything differently. The way a restaurant lights itself, if you are observant, then you're not just in there to feed your face. If you observe everything around you, you're alive in the moment. Instead of, nah, 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 it's hot outside, the air conditioner won't work, and yeah, 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 complain, complain, complain. Or, so you are in a hot, sticky climate, you can roll down the window and go, I wonder what they did 200 years ago when they had to wear those long black dresses in this heat. Then your mind is working and it becomes more than, it's hot, complain, complain, complain. You start understanding why people think the way they think in this area. It's very interesting to think the way Papa taught me to think. When I fall out of it, I get depressed and become another griping human instead of contributing, going, I never looked at it that way. You start observing things. You become a walking director. No, more than that, you become the camera. You're taking everything in. You're documenting this moment every moment. Sometimes it's beauty. Sometimes it's horror. I know some people who won't look around them because they don't want to see the horror. If you don't judge it, then you can look at it. And it's something that is very important not to miss because it makes you appreciate things. It also makes you understand about choices and it makes you look at your guilt. Like, why is this happening to them and not me? I feel terrible that I had these advantages and they didn't. You can go on and on until you debilitate yourself instead of saying, hang on a minute, red flag. I'm not going to feel guilty because I've had certain advantages. I'm going to do something with them. I've always believed that pity never helped anyone. You contribute the way you can. You give life and hope, and you give help where you can. I love that. I don't think I've ever fully heard that whole thing before. What are your thoughts on how that relates to Liquid Diamonds? Well, first of all, I have to say, this quote makes me feel very insecure about the way I live my life, because sometimes I just want to go to Chili's and not think about the lighting or art. <laughs> but I guess I'm just sleepwalking through my life. But I really think this speaks you to need to Tori's, go to a different um, restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Chili's, David. Now I have to feel bad about that, too. Chili's when Sizzler is catty corner? Where do you we live? all need some depressing songs and an awesome blossom every once in a while. I love that Alicia's like, where the hell is there a Chili's and a Sizzler catty corner from each other? And, and what's the zip code? <laughs> and why do you live there? <laughs> well, the point is, you know, Tori's saying you can find art in anything. You just observe it. Yeah. And you appreciate what's underneath when you're, you know, going to the Chili's. Well, it may not be art, but it is a quote from Tori Stories, her take on the videos, 1998. She says, I find it funny sometimes that although Pele was really playing with emotional death, my character dies in two of the videos, Sneeze and Jupiter. Choir Girl, on the other hand, which confronts physical death, has the most energetic videos, being physically present from Supergirl and Spark to Running Bride to Rave Chick and Raspberry Swirl. When I was studying all the videos with my friend Tam, I tried to remember my impressions when we were filming. Sneeze was physically demanding, whereas Jackie was the most emotionally challenging. I remember on the Sneeze set, which was at a studio somewhere in London, having conversations with Karen and Leslie about parts of one dying when there is no resolve in a particular relationship. 
it really took until Choir Girl with the inception and then the loss of a baby for me to nod spiritually to the two men of whom Sneeze references. Karen and Leslie knew I was seancing through the whole video shoot, demanding my heart to race across the planet and back into my body, a theme I come back to time and time again as in calling for my soul at the corners of the world. I know she's playing poker with the rest of the stragglers. I kind of like this idea of Pele and Choir Girl being flip sides of a coin, and I never really thought about it that way until we started exploring this album. She talks about physical death versus emotional death, and then, of course, fire versus water, maybe. And, you know, the sparseness and kind of classically influenced sound of Pele and then the full band sound of Choir Girl. I don't know. I kind of like that symmetry. That's good symmetry. <laughs> um, well, David, read this next quote. This quote is from Wall of Sound, April 1998. And, oh, wait, David. David. I'm waiting. We have a woman here. Yeah. We have a woman who can read Tori's part, finally. Oh, David, okay. you're going to play the reporter. Alicia, get ready. You're Tori. This is from Wall of Sound, April 1998. Did you direct the musicians in what to play, or did you give them free reign to create their parts? The songs were written before anybody showed up, so I had an idea of the story. Obviously, the songs were finished when they walked in. The engineers heard it first, so they were thinking sonically how to shape this. I was very open to trying different effects on all the instruments, including the vocals, to help develop the characters. I would say, okay, imagine this girl is completely made of a frozen lake. I want you to imagine a drill, one of those long motherfuckers coming right into her. The thing, though, is that she doesn't bleed blood. She's transparent, and yet she is in physical form. And I want to hear that in these eight bars. And they would make me go away for a few hours so I wouldn't bug them. It was about getting the musicians to really hear the soul of this song and then giving them freedom. That entails a certain amount of letting go. After you've had nearly full control over every sound on your albums in the past, it became very much about what instrument is the guiding anchored force that's taking us through the rabbit hole right now sometimes it would be no this is all about the guitar so forget about everything else mute this and keep that you can't be overly precious about well i played this and i worked really hard well so what it's not about this it's about the bass line for two bars mute the piano mute the piano you won't believe this but <laughs> once i started doing this it was so liberating the piano she's very happy She's all over this record, but sometimes she only plays for 16 bars. And that is what excited me. It was about when she plays. She's not playing because she has to be the whole band. She can really be whoever she wants. And that was exciting. I played very differently because of that. I love that. And I can hear, I absolutely can hear Liquid Diamonds as a girl who is made of a frozen lake, bleeding water or bleeding ice, not bleeding blood. And in in so many ways, this reminds me of Black Dove, you know, because she was talking about that transparent dove who bleeds water. So I've never considered these two songs sister songs, but they might be. Well, the whole record is so much about the water, you know, like, Pele was fire, and this is the other element of water. To me, liquid diamonds, like, okay, if Black Dove is, like, made of ice, liquid diamonds is the melting, like, the ice is melting. Oh, I love that. Okay, this is a really stupid question, but I'm going to ask it. Does anybody know the science behind a freezing lake? Does it freeze from the bottom up, like, from the, the deepest part of the lake? Does it freeze from there and work its way up, or does it freeze from the top? 
down. I am no Lakeologist, but I'm willing to say it starts from the top. From the top? Okay. Yeah, because otherwise you wouldn't know that there's potentially thin ice because it looks like it's frozen, right? So it has to start at the top. Oh, you're right. right. Like if it were to freeze from the bottom up, like it would always be solid as if the top is frozen. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, it's, it's warmer. Under. Oh. But fun fact, did you know that scientists discovered that there may be oceans of liquid diamonds on Neptune? What does that mean? Alicia, tell me right now. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think maybe that's the bridge between uh, this album and to Venus and back. Because then she's thinking about outer space, maybe. I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. When was that potentially discovered? Is that a recent thing? This is what they have to say on fizz.org. Oceans of liquid diamonds may exist on Neptune and Uranus. Scientists explain how it may be possible for the planets Neptune and Uranus to contain liquid diamond oceans. Oh my god, this is so exciting. You know you'd go to Uranus if you could, David. <laughs> I've already been there, but I'd go back. The research was conducted by taking detailed measurements of the melting point of diamond. When diamond is melted, it behaves like water during freezing and melting, with solid forms floating atop liquid forms. Wow. Diamond is a very hard material, which makes it difficult to melt. Measuring the melting point of a diamond is very difficult because when it's heated to very high temperatures, the diamond changes to graphite. Since it's the graphite and not the diamond that turns to liquid, scientists are faced with the problem of melting the diamond without it turning to graphite. Scientists can get around this problem by exposing the diamond to extremely high pressures by blasting it with lasers. Ooh, that is a link to Venus. The diamond is liquefied at pressures 40 million times greater than found at Earth's sea level. When the pressure is lowered to 11 million times greater than Earth's sea level and the temperature drops to about 50,000 degrees, chunks of diamond start to appear. Scientists discovered something they didn't expect. After the pressure kept dropping, the temperature of the diamond remained the same, with more chunks of diamond forming. The chunks of diamond did not sink, but floated on top of the liquid diamond, creating diamond icebergs. Oh my god. These ultra-high temperatures and ultra-high pressures are found in huge gas giant planets like Neptune and Uranus. Neptune and Uranus are estimated to be made up of 10% carbon. A large ocean of liquid diamond could deflect or tilt the magnetic field out of alignment with the rotation of the planet. The only way scientists can know for sure if liquid diamond exists on these giant gas planets is either by sending a scientific spacecraft to one of them or by simulating the conditions on Earth. Both methods would be very expensive and take years to prepare. People have got too much time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up. That's amazing. That would be so beautiful. So it's unclear to me if this was a commonly accepted, not commonly accepted, but if this phrase was a real thing that Tori didn't invent and maybe she read something about liquid diamonds or whatever and she was inspired to use that phrase or did she kind of create it and this is just a coincidence? Like she was using it to describe water. Yeah, I, I think it's a coincidence. Could you imagine swimming in a pool of liquid diamonds? Like, ugh, I feel I would feel like like that'd be so luxurious. Let's read this Music Week quote from April eleventh, nineteen ninety eight. The piano was always at the center, but she's not down in the same way. She's more integrated. It's more like a passing of the baton to the other instruments, although she still shines at times. This with the last quote that Alicia read. I love that she's excited about not having the piano be at the center. She's finding it as a challenge to see where the piano can fit in. You know, like, oh, we need it there. And it says a lot if it's isolated to just these moments. Yeah. I love that she's willing to take that risk and play with the players. Yeah, I feel like this era, she finally, like, shined in all her glory. Because I think she was always that rock chick in her heart. And, like, mm -hmm. now she's the band leader. And it was definitely more like the Tori Amos 
band because they were so tight. Like it wasn't like an interchangeable baseless backup sessions players. It's like Alanis or something, you know? We know it all went swimmingly and worked out for the best, but I have to say that reading quotes like this, particularly pre-release, it struck fear in my heart to read things like the piano's not at the center and it's passing the baton and be like, Tori, why? Why would you do that? But it was fine. Turns out it was fine. I overreacted. From the Times Metro, also on April 11th, 1998, it's as if she's on a press junket or something. She says, you know I'm a huge control freak, but this time I really wanted to interact with other players. Eric, of all people, came of all people came by and said he knew just the drummer for me. This was Matt Chamberlain. I met with him and played with him and my jaw just dropped to the floor. Wow. Psychic rhythm. And then later in the article, it was just something I went through. And then finally, what I went through was surrendering. This is out of my hands. If this spirit doesn't want to come or can't come for whatever reason, well, okay, I'm here. I'll keep myself open. Although for a while there, I was so angry. It was no way you don't even get a chance to come back. Wow. We went from talking about like how she's playing with other players in the psychic rhythm that Matt, she and Matt have to like opening up about having to surrender in the pain that she went through. Moving on, let's go to the Yahoo chat that occurred on April 13th, 1998. I love a Yahoo chat. <laughs> oh my God, I love a Yahoo chat or a gay.com chat or an AOL chat. <laughs> David, you want to be the young fan asking Tori the perfectly selected question that they've been phrasing in their mind for two weeks. Mm-hmm. If you were to compare yourself with an animal, what animal would you choose? It would have to be feline. Is there such a thing as a water buffalo cat? That means I've been eating too much. Obviously, I'm a Leo. And many Chinese beliefs, this is the year of the cat. That's funny because I played that for Al Stewart many years ago. I'm a Leo and a cat year, double cat. I've always tried to be patient with dogs, but I really don't have the patience for all that licking and jumping. It doesn't come from nowhere. Double cat really defines my nature. Perhaps a cat with fins? I'm very much about living underwater, a mer-cat. We put this here because, obviously, I can't think of a greater song to talk about living underwater than Liquid Diamonds. Um, I really do feel like the protagonist in the song is, like, in her hotel room drowning. Like, you know, she's turned the bathtub on and the water's, like, rising. (laughs) Oh, God. What do you think about this, David? A water buffalo cat? Is there such a thing? No, Tori. No, there isn't. And I think you know that. Um, I would... <laughs> I kind of picture like a panther like going out into the water, hunting a fish or something. I could see that. <laughs> this is from the Boston Globe, April 28th, 1998. Would you like to allow a man to be Tori for once, Alicia? <laughs> Let her masculine side shine through. Yes, absolutely. Finally. There's a real sense of strength and sensuality and magic and passion and a love for the life force on this record. To experience that life force, Amos moved to Florida to be by the ocean and rediscover the healing effect of the sea. I was trying to find strength as a woman somewhere, and it became this primal call, if you will, to the water and to rhythm. It started to give the woman in me some kind of confidence, some kind of reason for being. I couldn't be a woman who was a mother, but I could be a woman who could hold space for the songs. So that's what I chose to do this time. And this is, you know, this is kind of the theme throughout this press cycle is like, I couldn't bring a physical child into this world, so I gave birth to 12 song girls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love picturing her by the water. She talks about that a lot in these interviews in this era. And I always pictured her like at the stream where the spark video was, but you know, she was in Florida, I guess, but I always, I always pictured that in the water rippling and 
overflowing. A video for this song would be beautiful. God. I want to ask you guys something about all these references to water and the rhythm. Because we know that Tori kind of seems to pivot away from her last album and challenges herself to do something different. And Pele was so much about fire. Do we think this was all kind of happening coincidentally or subconsciously? Or do you think she was aware of and in some ways trying to pursue this theme of water to kind of dovetail with the fire theme of Pele? I mean, I think so much of where the music comes from is not like an intellectual space, but it's so much from spirituality and the feelings that she has that it just organically comes from that. So she was feeling the fire with Pele and then the water from her own experiences by the ocean. I think it's just kind of a natural development. I don't think she's consciously trying to do something different. I think that just comes out. Naturally. I agree with Alicia. I think that it's pretty subconscious, but I've never considered David until this moment that with everything that she went through to make Boys for Pele, just like the inspiration where that came from and what puts out a fire more than water. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like he almost that this record, if you look at it as the elements in the trajectory that they came, like the fire burned and now the water will sort of wash it all away. Mm hmm. And she's yeah. at this point in her career, she's married. She's, you know, she's her life is taking great steps forward in a direction that she wasn't at at the beginning of Boys for Pele. So there's something to be said there. You could always kind of see the albums in of like elements, like if Little Earthquakes was Earth and it was about like materializing in solid matter. But that and Under the Pink seems very like airy. With, clouds and but it's also about like skin that maybe that's an element i don't know blood skin fire water she's got it all i love earth air fire water because you know even the artwork in under the pink it lends itself very much to air mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah the first four and then and then you go into space right like what's the fifth yeah. the fifth element is carb carbon e or ether ether right ether yeah yeah <laughs> god i love her <laughs> do you think she had a vision board like when you when you are pitching a tv show and they ask you like what would season two be if this is like all succinctly wrapped up in season one where would season two go because they want to know if a show is going to have longevity right so i wonder if they're asking her when she's pitching little earthquakes to doug morris she's like i'm gonna do an earth air fire water thing yeah. <laughs> And then if we get a season five, I'll travel into space. I had a vision board, but it was just all pictures of Tori. So, so was hers. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if during the writing of Little Earthquakes, when she said she had a fairy ring with 12 envelopes and she wanted a song on each one, if she had a fairy rings within fairy rings for the other albums, like you're saying, like she knew where she was going. Why don't you read this from Sunday Magazine, July 12th, 1998. Take it away, whoever wants to take it away. I would sit outside by the water a lot, says Amos when asked about the album's rock influence. I have a little tiny dock on the river, sort of like Huckleberry Finn. Sorrow came and sat down next to me, and she would come and hold my hand, and I really began to see that Sorrow understands tears, but she also likes going to raves, and she's very multidimensional. And I started to see the depth of Sorrow, and that there's so much calmness in being able to see all sides of it, and I started dancing with Sorrow. That's when I started, in my mind, to go with the rhythm. I love that. Because to me, liquid diamonds are tears. Like the sea secret is rising up. Your eyes are welling up and you're 
flowing liquid diamonds. So it is like this place of sitting with sorrow where you're like in a crying spell. And the the line, when your friends don't come back to you and you know this is madness, a lilac mess in your prom dress, it's like it's the same place as like the peach party dress and precious things. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel like how it feels to be left out. Like you expected to have the best night of your life and have fun and said like your friends ditch you and you, <laughs> you find right. yourself. Oh yeah. you like, you find yourself alone and sniveling like outside of the dance by the brick wall, like feeling ridiculous in your big poofy dress and you just can't. And then it starts crying. to rain. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you left your jacket inside. Yeah, and so you're kind of just like in this crying spell place where you're sitting with sorrow. And in this song, it's like she is so sad. She goes into like a fantasy underwater world where she's like, oh, these aren't tears. I'm flowing liquid diamonds. I'm not crying. I'm just this underwater thing. So I'm not going to take it personally. And you just change something that feels so agonizing into something so beautiful and just she does that she's such a master of that in so many songs yeah i agree with that i think that she uh her entire catalog is really about turning sorrow and grief into something you can work with and something you can heal from and move on from um, and to acknowledge it and to not shy away from it but also to like work with it yeah Absolutely. I have no idea why, but listening to both of you speak just now, I'm now picturing Liquid Diamonds as a collective ocean of sorrow, one that we all contribute to at some point in our lives, and we all have our own unique experience (laughs) that brings us to it, and we cry our Liquid Diamond tears into the ocean, and then we dive into it. (laughs) I love it. I do. I love that. And then go to Pandora Aquarium. Yeah. Who wants to read this from Westward, August 27th, 1998? And, you know, it's funny because for she hasn't ever really talked about Liquid Diamonds, but all of these quotes are very insightful in different ways about the song. So why don't you read this one, Alicia? Okay, sure. I remember spending time by the water trying to recover from the loss, and I would just study the water for hours and hours. How this incredibly multi-layered thing, which was the sea, could turn on a dime, could change from this calm persona to this tidal wave, this thunderous, volatile character. There was nothing I could do to save this being's life, so I needed to draw on something to really find my strength as a woman again, because I couldn't go back to being the woman I was before I carried life, and at the same time, I wasn't able to be a mother. So I studied the sea a lot and started to turn to this primal, primitive, I guess you could say ancient womanness that had to do with rhythm, a woman's internal rhythm that was not dependent on whether she was a virgin or if she was sensual or if she was many times a lover to many, many men. No judgment on what her accomplishments were or weren't. I just felt we all had access to the earth's secrets and the music started to come through this belief. She says, I studied the sea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like she just sat by the water and mourned. It's like the rhythm really, she started to like pay attention to how the rhythm works and like the sound and the rise and the fall of it. I think that also really connects with what she was talking before about what her papa taught her about listening to nature and like sitting with the tree, sitting with the ocean, slowing down, letting that inspire you. I also just want to say, I love that at this point in her career, Tori was never literal. And it would have been so easy for her to do something obvious, like sample the ocean. 
or play the sound yeah. of waves with the waves crashing or something, but she doesn't do that You're at so all. Right. And said she approximates it somehow or kind of kind of gives us the essence of ocean without actually doing it, which is so much more interesting and powerful too. Those yeah. times that she does something like that where she emulates the sound of something we know so well. Another time that springs to mind is the beginning of I Can't See New York, how it sounds like a siren, but it isn't like a sample siren. You know, it's mm-hmm. her playing the siren and hey Jupiter, her playing the dial tone. Yes. Or the busy mm-hmm. signal. I love it. You're right. Yeah. Um, This is the last quote we have on our page. Let's read it from the record collector. Let's let Alicia read this one as well, since she's our guest. I'm honored to to be so. You're the only person we've ever had on the show for the history and quotes section. So you are the singular guest that's done this act with us. Well, hopefully I won't be the last. I think it's cool. Yeah, this is fun. Um, Bring it home. This is from Record Collector, November 1999. I don't know of anybody who's going to be fulfilled if they get hit by a bus. Try me, bitch. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't try me. I don't want to get hit by a bus. (laughs) I don't know of anybody who's going to be fulfilled if they get hit by a bus. You have to surrender to that eternal need to be fulfilled. That's very much what Liquid Diamonds was for me. That's like the only direct quote. Right. About we we'd end there. Yeah. (laughs) And now all of this preamble... It's the only direct quote, and it's from like 18 months after the song was released. That's funny because David and I speculate that this is one of her favorite songs. I don't know why she wouldn't put it on a piano. I don't know why she wouldn't feature it more or talk about it more. But I do have this vague sense that it's like one of the songs that she's most proud of from this cycle. I feel like it was one of her favorite songs at the time. And I'm not sure she feels the same connection to it. Or like a lot of songs that may be kind of associated with a painful time in her life that she'd rather not remember. So I don't know if that's part of the reason, not only why she hasn't talked about it that much, but why it isn't around very often, even though I really think it was one of her top tier favorites during this era. What do you think? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I agree with that. What do you think? That she prefers it with the band. I mean, she had it on so many boots and legs that maybe Mm -hmm. as time goes on. But, oh gosh, can you imagine that with the quartet, though? That would be... But it's interesting, though, if you say it reminds her of, like, a difficult time, because in that improv section where she starts, like, spouting off these lines about Saturdays and her dad preaching downstairs, it's an interesting part of the song because it doesn't seem to go with the other parts. You can tell it's kind of an improv. But I have something to say about this little part, like, where she talks about, can he bring me those jeans? And I don't know if you know this either. I couldn't find it. But I think there's a quote somewhere where she said when she was young, like a teenager, she wasn't allowed to wear jeans. So she would have her friends bring her like sneaker in jeans. Yeah. So she would wear these jeans. And it was the same jeans in like silent all these years, like the jeans of his. She's remembering like her friends bringing her these contraband jeans. Make a mental note, David, so we can get into that in the line by line. <laughs> Noted. And one more thing too about, well, you'll do this in the line by line, but I swear there's a part where she says, I guess I'm an underwater woman. What? Where she says that. <laughs> one of those like team woman or team thing. I don't know. What's the timestamp? Find the timestamp. Okay, I will. And now I have to ask, if you were to cast... The movie of From the Quagra Hotel, who would you have play Liquid Diamonds and why? Starting with, let's do David, Alicia, me. My choice for Liquid Diamonds is Elizabeth Moss. Really? Why? 
I think she's like a liquid diamond of an actress in her own right. She's flexible. She can go with the flow. She can, she's chameleon-like. She can be almost anything. I just feel it. She can capture deep grief. How about you? I mean, the only thing that's coming to mind is the character of Clyde. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love having Clyde play Liquid Diamonds in the movie. So it's just Tori. She edged her way in there. That is meta. All right. I have three controversial choices if you're ready. Three? I'm so ready. So my first one would be because of her hair, because what she would look like underwater, like either sinking or trying to get to the top, Isabella Rossellini. No, oh, I thought you were going to say Isabel. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Isabella Rossellini just like kind of on her back, just kind of floating or sinking uh, and that hair. Mm. But the sorrow, I feel, do you know an actress named Denai Gurira? She's in The Walking Dead. She plays Michonne in The Walking Dead. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, I just, I love her. I loved her ever since she was in a movie in 2010 called Three Backyards. And she's just so striking. And I feel like they're, like sorrow can cross that face. Sorrow but strength, which I think is what Liquid Diamonds is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait. I take mine back completely. <laughs> okay, great. So I'm going to say Claire Danes. Because she's really good at ugly crying. Oh, yeah, she is. I just think of, like, her young and, like, Romeo and Juliet when there's the aquarium scene where, like, she sees Leo DiCaprio for the first time. And mm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of also obsessed with her. I have a song called Angela Chase, so, oh, yeah, I, love... I, I would pick her. <laughs> with her chin wobble? That's what Liquid Diamonds is. If yeah. It's, it's nothing if not a chin yeah, wobble. Yeah, crying spell. Well, Eve, so far, I love your choices. I love that to you, Liquid Diamonds is like a little bit older and wiser, perhaps. She's lived. She has she secrets has to tell. But who's, your, but who's your third choice? My third choice, I, I went with someone younger. It's a little bit more of an obvious choice when you hear it. You probably haven't thought of it. But it'll, when I say it, you'll understand. Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer as Liquid Diamonds. Mm, you know I love that Russian nesting doll casting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like wrapped in plastic, like that very first shot of her in the show in season oh, one, episode one. I can one. see it, yeah. Wrapped in plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Alicia, it's been so much fun having you on the show. It's been so much fun to step out of the darkness into the light with another human. Thank you for <laughs> giving us that. Thank you so much for having me. I listen to every show. I just adore you guys. It's been amazing. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. What about you, David? Me too. I had a great time. Alicia, you can find her on Bandcamp at starlash.bandcamp.com. That's S-T-A-R-L-A-S-H, starlash.bandcamp.com. Go give her a follow. Go purchase her music. Go support her. She's a friend and a supporter of our show. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. And we're going to throw it off to Michael Carley because we have 10 questions to ask him about this song. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm so good, Ethan. How are you? Oh, I'm so much better talking to you. You just bring a light to the show. Oh, same. What a pleasure. Thank you. I have some questions for you. What to you is a liquid diamond? Oh, Castelliano, kind of outside Siena, amazing. Like, their Chianti Grand Selezione, like, the best of the best. That's, that's it. My glass of that, please. How would you describe Liquid Diamonds, the song, to someone who couldn't hear it? Ooh, okay, we're lying down. We're sinking through the floor, through the mattress, whatever. I would say it's like gauzy and like a little cold. I think the falling sensation. Which person or what thing can immediately cause you to surrender? You know, it sucks that this is how I am, but um, I blame the culture. 
fucking like height like height man it's gonna do it for me unfortunately which person or what thing can immediately cause you to start your engines <laughs> i mean i i can't give my same answer um <laughs> Where is the perfect place to listen to Liquid Diamonds? Okay, continuing from an earlier answer, I really do think one must be lying down. What about in like a sensory deprivation tank if we're making a day of it? I think that would be really amazing. Oh, I love that. Floating. Oh, we should do that. We should, we should do go. that. We should absolutely do that when quarantine is over. There's something less out of it. If you were an underwater thing, what body of water would be your habitat? Oh, the Arctic. Who was the first person you'd ask to bring you those jeans? <laughs> oh, you know what? It really, it's, uh, it's my friend Tom. I, yeah, I'm, I'm always asking Tom to bring the jeans, and I won't elaborate on that. Michael, horseback or dog sled? A hundred percent dog sled. I have absolutely no interest in getting on a horse. Did you hear about the jeweler I went on a Zoom date with last week? No. How was yeah. it? Oh, I asked for a pearl necklace, but he gave me liquid diamonds. <laughs> I didn't know you could get a pearl necklace over Zoom. Well, you need the pro account. Yeah. Can you leave the people with one of your deepest sea secrets? I guess I guess it's like that I want to write novels. I hate admitting that. Terrible, terrible stuffy novels that absolutely no one reads. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes in the sensory deprivation <laughs> tank. <laughs> yeah. But that's where my life is going. So, you know, 30s of months away. I'm going to start running up to that, I guess. As always, Michael, it's been a pleasure. You can follow Michael only in person. He's not on social media anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so if you happen to have the pleasure of finding him, please follow him. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Well, we're back, David. Uh, thank goodness. Should we call our next woman on our quest to womanhood? Yes, we should. I think we need help in a big way. Our very next woman is Laura Crum. She's an educator and a mother from Florida. She's a frequent caller into the show. She's a supporter. She's a friend. Hi, Laura Crum. Hey, so nice to talk to you both. Hi. We're thrilled to have you here for the line-by-line section because we very rarely have someone else come in and do this section. So we're ready to be schooled. You're a Liquid Diamond scholar. Yeah, I thought about it for a while now. So I have a lot of random thoughts that could be correct or maybe it's just me going off to pasture too deeply. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like David and I went to grad school for Tori Amos, but you concentrated in Liquid Diamonds. Yes. (laughs) Laura, (laughs) I I want to say it was like a year ago, Laura sent us this document with all of her thoughts. It's a three-page document. And I said, how dare I? Who do I think I am to get up here and speak the thoughts of a woman, Tori Amos excluded? So we're going to just have Laura come on and give us her interpretation herself. So we put you in the line-by-line section, and we're just going to, we're going to riff, okay? Okay, I'm ready. Lay your groundwork before we start getting into the line. Um, I was a, I, I'm a huge dork, and I've read tarot cards since I was like 12 or 13. And I had a tarot deck with, a, it was like a goddess tarot deck. And I was convinced that Tori Amos was singing about this specific goddess from the tarot deck. And I ended up doing a whole bunch of research, and I'm still convinced she's talking about this one goddess. Okay, I was doing this tarot deck, and there's this card and it was Yamana, and she represented balance, and she is from the Yoruba religion or the Santeria religion. She's like their main mother figure, 
and she represents the sea and the ocean and she represents, you know, all of, and she also is like a patron saint of miscarriages and all really? of this horrible female bloodiness that can happen. Yeah. So when I started to look into the, the card specifically called to me, I loved this one image from the tarot card and, and I start I loved the card so much. And then I heard liquid diamonds and I was like, wait a minute, some of these things, I feel like she's referencing Yamana or, or Yamoya. It's, I've seen like the pronunciation two different ways. So I don't want to, I'm not Santorian. I don't want to, <laughs> you don't practice Santeria. Um, you don't got no crystal ball. Right. I wish I, wish I should. <laughs> Thank you for laying that groundwork. I'm ready to hear your story. I'm ready for you to just take me on a journey. Finally, we don't have to do the heavy lifting anymore. I know. All right. Get ready, Laura. Okay, here we go. (laughs) I'm on my dog sled. Let's go. This particular word is what has inspired this entire episode. I'm hoping by the end of this line by line, I will just surrender to the song and finally understand what it means. (laughs) What does it mean to surrender, Laura? What does it mean to surrender to something? Oh, I think that when you say surrender, it means surrender to grief. And I don't think you can get through grief or sadness or depression unless you surrender to it. And I think in the very beginning, she says, surrender, then start your engines. You can't begin a journey of healing until you completely accept the situation, the, the blood and the horribleness that happened to it. I love that. I love that you have to surrender. You have to let go before you can start. Like the then start your engines is very important. Yeah. The acceptance, the acceptance. I, you know, not to get too deep into me, but like I went through some fertility issues and, you know, miscarriages myself. And it's, you do, you have to kind of surrender to your body suddenly and be like, wow, this has nothing to do with me. I don't have any control over this. So, yeah. Mm. I love that. And to me, this is another way of saying no matter what it is, you can't predict what life is going to throw at you. Sometimes like the storm is going to happen and you just have to surrender surrender to it. But get ready. Start your engines. It's yeah. not always going to be easy. It's not. Giving up control, too. I mean, like that is a very difficult thing, especially if it's over your body and especially like realizing that something that you want so badly is completely out of your control. Exactly. And how do you start again? And you, you can't start unless you say, I have no control over this. What can I control? I can control maybe my reaction. Maybe, you know, that's it. I have to imagine that was something really important for Tori to explore in this song because she's acknowledged over and over again how difficult it is for her to give up any amount of control in any area of her life. So the fact that this is maybe one thing that she couldn't control, she probably really needed to come to terms with that. Definitely. And she's spoken how she's a bit of a control freak about certain things so yeah a bit what you said laura about starting the engine towards healing like you Mm -hmm. can move towards something that like you have to turn on the car if you're going to go somewhere you're starting the engine to head somewhere yeah yeah that's what i that's what i mean like we're surrendering and then we can start now we can join do this journey into the water of liquid diamonds mm-hmm. and into the and into mm-hmm. what I think is her conversation with the goddess Yamana. So I think what she's saying is it's you know in Boys for Pele she had all this fire, the fire goddess, and um, there wasn't a lot of the Demeter and the mother aspect in Pele. Obviously, we were we were being vampires in Pele. So I think here when she says, you'll know quite soon what my mistake was, she's saying, you know, 
she's talking to the goddess and she's like, you'll know what my mistake was. I forgot you. I forgot maybe the elements of how to grieve and how to be a mother. Cause I think whether you have the child or not, you were pregnant for a moment. You know, if you wanted to keep the child, you were pregnant, you were excited, you were holding this baby. So you were a mother in all senses for a moment. And but at the same time, just because you held the baby, like, were you truly honoring what it was to be a mother? So maybe the mistake was just that you forgot, you know, you forgot the kindness to yourself. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a thread of, let's say, guilt running through this entire album, um, particularly particularly on Spark, Playboy Mommy, and I would say Liquid Diamonds. And that, to me, sort of is what the line, you'll know quite soon what my mistake was, sort of encapsulates, that she's really taking on a tremendous amount of personal um, accountability for not being able to carry this life, it seems like, or sort of asking herself why why she wasn't able to do that and equating it with some sort of like shortcoming in herself. So I feel like that's kind of woven through the song, too, that she's really feeling guilty and taking responsibility for this. Yeah, I think that's really clear with my mistake. Like she takes complete ownership of whatever went wrong, whatever she's talking about. She's owning it, maybe um, owning it a little too much. Like it's 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 obviously something that's like got her under the muck, you know. Mm. That line for those on horseback or dog sled, this is where I started to get into the whole Yamana thing as well, because Maya has many cameos or roads. And so she's saying, you know, we're going to go on these roads and whether you're on a horse, on a dog sled, whatever you're from, the whatever, you know, part of the world you're from, this is where we're going. So however you want to travel. And I think you have to bend at the road because if you're going to go on this journey of grief and forgiveness, we're, be- we're not going straight. We're bending in the road now. We have to, you, this is where you're going. For me, this also brings to mind the idea of grief being kind of the great equalizer. Like no matter who you are, where you're, fr- where you're from, that's something you're going to experience at some time. We all are. Mm. So that kind of to me is what On Horseback or Dog Sled is saying. Like no matter what corner of the world you're from, you're going to have your version of this experience at some point. Oh, yeah. Have you been on a dog sled, anyone? <laughs> is, it pulled, no. is it pulled by dogs? <laughs> yeah. I haven't been on a dog sled, but oddly enough, I've been in a chariot pulled by cats. You turn on a you have to sort of bend in the wind. You have to you have to be a rubber band girl. You have to bend yeah. with the grief. <laughs> yeah, you can't go straight. You're going. You're going to bend with the road. You're done. You've surrendered. If anyone's playing Drive All Night Bingo, we got Rubber Band Girl. I think that has to be on the bingo card for sure. <laughs> and manages to come up more often, more often than one would imagine. I hear she still runs this just goes back to the idea that she hasn't spent too much time with these goddesses. She spent time with the fire goddesses. When we talk about her loving, her losing and going through the miscarriages during this album, she lost something. Tori Amos was losing something. She lost these babies. But I think she's saying how, you know, maybe I lost the babies, but maybe this goddess or this part of me, this piece of my spirituality lost me. You know, I was lost to that as well. So I need to, you know, the goddess 
Maya will forgive me or maybe I'll just forgive myself for not being kind to myself during all of this. I love where you're going with this goddess energy. I can feel Tori's ears burning across the Atlantic as we speak. Like this is so <laughs> this is so on brand. She would be gagging for this conversation. But um, she can always call our hotline three two three two nine six nine nine five five. Tori, if you have any thoughts about liquid diamonds by Tori, please call. Um, <laughs> I hear she still grants forgiveness. To me, that brings to mind the way Tori always personifies emotions. And mm. potentially, I don't know if she's talking about grief here, um, but she said that, you know, until she had this experience, this whole album is about not only grief, but a new appreciation for the life force. So maybe she's actually addressing grief here and saying, you know, before this happened, I was kind of trying to pretend that you didn't exist or that I wasn't going to have to face you at any point, but I can't do that anymore. So so maybe grief is personified and we're saying now, you know, that we have to love and embrace the grief. And even though we maybe have said, no, I don't want to deal with this or no, this, this is not really happening, if you will. Um, but it'll grant me forgiveness, even though I denied it. Now that I'm coming to it, I've been, I've gone to the bend in the road. She's forgiven. We're going to do this grant of forgiveness, which goes with that next line. And I think that goes back to what you're saying too, David, about that guilt. She's in need of forgiveness because she willingly forgot her. She did something wrong. She made the choice. She went in the opposite direction. I think that she's feeling that incredible guilt. And it's really clear to me here. Mm -hmm. So that actually is um, the offering to Yamaya, you're supposed to serve it according to the Santeria Church. You're supposed to serve it like in a mash with a with a like a bash name in a bowl and drizzle cane syrup over it, and they and then you put molasses on it as well because it's sweet. And that is actually one of her offerings. And if you go online, really, um, yeah, that's why I got so excited about this. But that is actually Yamana's offering is molasses or sweet things. You absolutely have to hit be, the nail on the head. Yeah, you have to be right on the money. There is no way that's a coincidence. And especially because you know how she gets into goddess energy all the time. You know, she's always exploring that. So, And I love that it's molasses. It's sweet. You know, it's something molasses is, it was like, you know, it's a syrup that like kids would use. Right. And we're talking about, you know, being kind again and having something sweet go on to this. So of course the goddess that's helping her through all this, this mother goddess from the Yoruba religion, you know, she wants to bring something sweet to the conversation again. I have to say, oddly enough, sort of talking through these lines with you guys, I'm kind of connecting dots to the beekeeper now, the song. Both songs, arguably, are about coming to terms with grief, and specifically, the offering is molasses was reminding me of I've come with my mustard seed in the beekeeper. Yes! Right? <laughs> or the honey from the hive. That also can be considered mm. a sweet syrup. Mm. Oh, I love this. Mm. Guys, we just need a connection. We should open a restaurant. Is, that, is everybody thinking what I'm thinking? Where we serve honey from the hive, molasses, and mustard seeds. We'll call ourselves uh, Bend in the Road. That's perfect. Do we think there's any connection between this line and Northern Lad? Because she mentions molasses there, too. I thought we'd be okay, me and my molasses. Is that just... No, I'll go with it because I thought we'd be okay. Me and my molasses, me and that, my, my sweetness and my kindness, maybe. I mean, do you think in Northern Lad that 
she's referencing him as the molasses or do you think she's referencing a part of herself? You know, I thought we'd be okay. I wonder. I love that this connection is coming up because when I, in, in Northern Lad, I always, th- when she says, I thought we'd be okay, me and my molasses, I've always taken that to mean like the sweetest part of herself or something inside of her that she was supposed to protect. Yeah. And here, we, if the offering is molasses, has she offered up this piece of herself as like, this is what she lost and that's what she feels guilty about? That this sweetness inside of her, something, oh. obviously the baby, maybe? Oh, such a good thought. When she says, and you say, I guess I'm an underwater thing, I think this whole, this whole chorus here is, I think this is Yamana talking to her. She's saying that Yamana or the mother goddess or maybe the Demeter element in herself is saying, I guess I'm an underwater thing. Because if we go back to that word surrender, surrender means you shouldn't feel the guilt that you should, you know, just you, you have no control over things. And so you have to remember, like, listen, I'm an underwater thing. This doesn't have much to do with me. Um, but also it comes up with the idea of underwater and, you know, birth and the, our bodies are water. You know, our bodies are, what, like 75% water. So we are part of the ocean. We are pretty much the ocean. So I like the idea that she's saying, you know, Yamana is telling us, I guess I'm an underwater thing. I know this is going to sound kind of hokey and crazy, but it's kind of like I am part of the death as well. Like, even though it was a child that died, like I died, like, but I'm still going to live again. I know that sounds kind of hokey. I don't know. I really sort of just latched onto what you were saying about, you know, the body, our bodies being 75% water or whatever it is, mostly water, um, that we are essentially the ocean. And I kind of love that idea of saying, I'm, I'm an underwater thing. I'm the water. I'm the ocean. Meaning sometimes when something horrible happens to us, we're looking for a reason why, and it feels very personal, like we're being targeted by the universe or something. But this is kind of maybe like a very poetic way of saying sometimes horrible things happen and there's no rhyme or reason to it like it's not personal it just is so i kind of love that yes thank you You just said what i was trying to say (laughs) yeah and i'll just say like up until this point i guess i'm an underwater thing i have always sort of read that i guess like more of a surface level read but to me that has been a way of saying i'm better muted or from far away and i look like i kind of i look like i kind of have it together um if you're only half paying attention but once you get up close I'm kind of a big mess. So the fact that you yeah. would think that, well, it's true. So I guess I can't take it personally. I'm not really convinced that that's what she's saying, but that's kind of part of how I've read it up until this point. Well, and she shouldn't take the whatever happened to her, the trauma personally. You know, I mm. agree with you completely. She is an underwater thing. She can't take this personally. She has to surrender to it. had my miscarriage and I kind of felt like you know it to be it's gonna be a little gross but like you bleed right um and you suddenly see a part of yourself coming out of you and it's yourself but it's not yourself right because it's you but it's also you know this future that you thought you might have but you no longer have it and you're sitting there and you're like you feel guilt and you feel like a shit and then you're like, well, wait, you know, should I be taking this personally? You know, my, the liquid is, I'm liquid running. I'm running everywhere. 
should I be taking this personally at all? Wow, that's tremendous. Mm -hmm. But it's so interesting because specifically I'm liquid running to me that has always been like an invocation or an almost speak it and make it so type of thing. Like that's what she's wanting to be. I want to surrender. I want to be like water. I want to be able to sort of flow with the situation that's happening and not be reactionary, but just really, again, surrender to it. Right. So, Yeah. Did you feel, if you don't mind my asking, mm-hmm. when you had your miscarriage, did you feel that you were sort of drowning in sorrow? You know how I felt? You know when you're you're like a little kid in the pool and you're underwater and you can hear voices outside the pool. You can hear your friends talking or whatever. My sister and I used to play this game where she would try to say something. I would be underwater and she would say something above water and I would try to understand what she would say. It was like a game. Mm. I kind of felt afterwards like I was underwater listening to people talk and I was trying to understand what they were saying, but you kind of felt just like you weren't even solid anymore. That's how I kind of felt. You kind of feel just like your body is collapsing on itself. You're like, wait, it's not working. Especially since I think more now people are a little bit open talking about it, but like most women actually go through miscarriages and many of them don't even know they do it. You know what I mean? Cause they'll, it, so it's, it doesn't affect them as much, but it's actually very, very common and so few women really talk about it. I work with mostly women. I work in an English department. And I know almost all of them have had some kind of a miscarriage, but it's not something we talk about. None of us talk about it. I think that if we're going to look at the woman's body as like the sea, you know, and her period can be the tide and her pregnancy and all of this stuff. If we want to get into this, because Yamana is the goddess of the sea and she's the mother goddess. So if we're going to do all of that, if she's saying that there's a sea secret in me, you know, I think she's saying that maybe this is happening to her, but it's a secret. You know, she's got all of this turmoil of liquid happening her and it's a secret, but she thinks it's plain that it's rising. It's plain to her that it's happening. I don't know. What do you guys think? (laughs) I love that. I love that. I'm just listening and like it's it's making everything so clear. And I'm so glad that David and I didn't try to tackle this on our own. No. <laughs> no. You would have been amazing. I'm kind of sad that I'm talking because now I don't get to enjoy your thoughts alone. This is my favorite part. No. I, that's the thing is like we never could have gotten here. We never would have gotten here, which I feel is really right on. Yeah. I need to tell you guys something. We needed you so badly. For me, the song is really abstract and there aren't a lot of questions quotes where Tori has talked about it directly. So before we did this episode, I did a little crowdsourcing and conducted an informal survey and asked people what they thought Liquid Diamonds was about. And 100% of the respondents said semen. I'm okay with that. First of all, I take issue with you doing all your market research on Grindr. (laughs) You were busy. I did what I had to do. (laughs) If you go to page three of my notes, I actually can agree with that because... Oh, okay. Because... There is this whole philosophy and study. It's like this weird, like psychedelic research by this guy named Groff. And he talks about that a symbol, like a fertilized egg is symbolized by a diamond. So we could totally say that there is semen in her. Definitely. And then the semen ran out. (laughs) So I don't know. Or the semen, you know, the semen is the spark that makes the baby. So that is in itself the diamond. But I've always taken liquid diamonds as being the soul and the spirit of everything that was inside of her that ran out of her that she lost because she's flowing. it. It's just like coming Mm -hmm. out. 
And it's so precious. It's like the most precious thing. Mm. And it's water. Completely. Because, again, in page three of my notes, guys, there's this guy named Ferenzi. And he had this study. He wrote all this in like 1920-something. And he says, you know, we are mammals. We spend our fetal life in amniotic fluid. And he says that the diamond is a symbolized of a fertilized egg. So he would totally agree with you about all of this. And he thinks that sexual life is actually interpreted as the return to amniotic fluid. So when we have sex, it's like we're returning to the womb in some way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm cool with the semen, yes. the word invocation again i think at certain points tori has really done a good job of sort of i'll say writing her way out of a crisis or sort of telling herself what she needs to hear in a song and maybe maybe she's talking maybe the the goddess within is kind of the secret here but to me that's very similar to her her spark or sort of her secret spell like this is a way of her saying like one way or the other you have the you have the fortitude to make it through this like you have it within you that to me is kind of what this line is saying david thank you for saying that i love that because now i feel like it's like hey listen i'm going through this but there's something in me you know it's rising i have the ability to get through this I love that. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is, this is, I love that. A call to action. Yeah, for sure. This is not going to define me. This is not going to defeat me. I am going to rise above this one way or the other. So my thought, and this is where I get really confused. So I love your thoughts here. It says, when she says, and you say, I guess I'm an underwater thing. Do you think that she's personifying the goddess Yamana right here? And Yamana is saying like, this is what you say when you're in a tough spot. Like when you're going through this. This is what you say to yourself. Yamana is telling her, you say, hey, you're an underwater thing. You can't take this personally. There's a secret in you. You can do this. Do you think that Torium is personifying like a mother figure saying that to her? Or do you think this is just Torium saying this to herself? I think you know how when you've had an experience and you've gone through something very, very personal mm-hmm. and you then come out of it and you're schooling someone on it, there will be a time when you won't be able to get out of bed. There will be a time yeah. when you won't, you'll feel like you can't move on. And you speak in that second person uh, with a you. And here she says, for those on horseback or dog sled, you turn on at the bend in the road. It feels like she's also acting as kind of a guide and you'll offer molasses and you'll say that's how I always took it although I love what you've said and now I'm it's like thrown everything into question for me and almost always to the point where I'm kind of ignoring the and you say part because it's been so easy for me to get into that course that course comes with those low notes and it just Mm -hmm. kind of gets you there I'm always just like ready for Tori to sing that part so I kind of fast forward through that and you say it's just like part of (laughs) something I've never really put much weight to and I love that you it's kind of like the basis of your analysis it's probably all my years as a Roman Catholic growing up because we had so many (laughs) prayers and Roman Catholics are very you know they have very strict prayers and now you say this and now you say that and that's probably why (laughs) 
What do you think, David? I love that. And I have to acknowledge that I usually kind of just gloss over that too. If for no other reason, then Tori says, you say, I said, he said so often as yeah. like a filler <laughs> that I just kind of like, I don't know, like shrugged it off. And like Eve said, kind of got right to the chorus. Like, yeah, I guess I'm an underwater thing. I said, that's kind of to me what it was. <laughs> we should have looked harder. <laughs> Well, we should have known it was important because she bothered to print it in the lyric book. So I have to say my very good friend Shauna said the nicest thing to me when I had my miscarriage. She was like, no one can prove me wrong when I say this to you. But maybe the piece inside of you, the child or the baby or whoever it was, like maybe she just recognized that she needed to go someplace else for a moment. And so... For me, when she says calling for my soul at the corners of the world, it's almost like she's calling for a part of herself that she lost during this traumatic thing. And she was like, it went someplace, you know, it didn't die. Maybe things don't die. Maybe they just put their energy someplace else. And so when she says calling for my soul at the corners of the world, she's like, I know you didn't die. I know you're someplace out there. You could be playing poker, but I'm, I'm trying to find you again. There's such an element of the hunt here, like she's on a hunt for it. And just the way the change in the music right there and the voice she gives to that line, really literally calling out for it, that I always felt like it was very something very precious that she's lost. Yeah, um, and she's going to find it. She's saying, I'll, I'll go to all the corners and find this part of myself that I lost during this horrifying ordeal. I know she's playing I love this image that the soul or the pieces that she lost are playing poker with pieces that other people have lost. Mm. That there is this place for lost souls. Yeah. You hate to do this when you get pregnant. You hate to like put too many hopes in something because you know that there is this chance of losing it. You know, so you kind of have comfort. And I'm not even saying this is not just people that are pregnant or miscarriages. This could be anyone who goes through any kind of a loss or any kind of a death or any kind of grief. You know, you're sad when you lose that person and you think, well, maybe they are someplace else with the other souls. And that's okay. Like, there's nothing to say that they're not out there someplace in a different space, that their energy is in a different space. And I think that can be really comforting for people. I much prefer your interpretations, both of you. Um, for me, Calling for My Soul, that line has always been sort of very connected to the lines that preceded it and that, let's say, call to action. That's just kind of calling one's power back to get through whatever you need to get through. There's been kind of a thread through that to me of when Tori has talked about the angels don't come for everyone or when something, you know, terrible happens, like where was my guardian angel or why did this happen to me? And I've kind of always seen it through that lens too. Like her guardian angel was off playing poker while this horrible thing was happening. I changed my mind. I want to go with yours now, David. It just seems so <laughs> empowering from your point of view. I have like a very sad character looking for pieces of dead ones. Yours is way better. I didn't interpret it that way at all as sad. <laughs> yeah, I felt it was very empowering yeah. too. And I feel like when you've lost something so crucial, there is such a tremendous amount of healing and grieving that has to go into being able to even start to try to get it back before you ever get to the calling for it before you go on the hunt to find it, there's such devastation that comes with it. And you yeah. got to get through that before you realize like, okay, I can try to reclaim these pieces of myself. 
Yeah. Do you think there's a reason why her soul is playing poker and not like Rummy Cube or something? <laughs> well, because you know how Tori's always said she's a guy's girl. And I can see like her soul is probably smoking a cigar in a smoky basement, <laughs> poorly lit, you know, with a swig of gin. I don't know. That, I I, that makes perfect sense to me with where her soul would be. Yeah. And aside from maybe blackjack, poker is the card game that, to me, you know, I associate with gambling. A game of chance. Yeah, but it's more a game of skill, too. It's like a, it's a total game of, like, conniving and manipulation and, mm-hmm. like, bluffing, you know? So, like, the soul is crafty. The soul has kind of got, like, a side eye. <laughs> this soul's crafty. <laughs> this soul crazy. It's not her first rodeo. <laughs> it's not her first poker game. Mm-mm. Texas Hold'em? <laughs> <laughs> a very literal interpretation. I think when we have sadness of any kind, sometimes there are people that leave us during that time because, you know, they can't maybe handle it for to no fault of their own. The relationships that we have with others might not be the same after we go through something. And she's mentioned that before. I think in Barron's Suburbia, she says something like that about losing friends because of situations. It was a slight miscalculation that my friends... Friends would be waiting on the other side of the bridge, yeah. On the other side of the bridge, okay. yeah. Again, I take this whole section, this like little end part, to be advice to people, you know, that she's gone through it, now she's passing on her wisdom. If your friends don't come back to you and you know this is madness, this is how you'll heal. This is how, what you need to do to get through it. In my darkest hours with all of my infertility issues, I would speak to the soul of my like lost child. I was, you know, when I was like in a really bad space and when I would hear this part of the song and if your friends don't come back to you, for me, it was like Tori Amos was saying, listen, I didn't get to beat your mom. You went to be somebody else's child, but let me give you some advice, even though you went off on your way. Sometimes your friends won't come back to you. I know that's how I read it in a dark, dark space. I remember being younger, much younger when this song came out and it hit me in a way like that was the most devastating thing that I could think of if your friends don't come back to you. Like I understood the like devastation that that could level. Life has changed, you know, like obviously that's not the worst thing that can happen. Like people do come in and out of your life. Yeah. That is what for me, who I haven't been through anything like that, um, infertility issues or anything like that, that to me was like the most devastating thing. I loved what you were saying, Eve, about this being, let's say, advice now that she's been through this and it's, and you know, and if your friends don't come back to you and you know this is madness and kind of like Laura was saying initially, I have always read, and if your friends don't come back to you as very literal, because as we all know, and Tori herself has said, sometimes when you're in crisis or going through a hard time, some people just can't show up for you in that place. And not only that, sometimes they don't know what to say, or they also act like it's contagious, and they just don't want to be around you. So I feel like that's where this is coming from. Yeah, it's weird, because you don't want to, I hate to say this, like, you don't want to be a downer. You really don't. And you know what it kind of sucks is, so I, I mean, I do have a child. I kind of gave up on the idea and then I randomly got pregnant, but it kind of ruins everything <laughs> for you because now when you get pregnant, the entire time I was pregnant with Gwen, my daughter, I didn't enjoy any of it because the entire time I was like, why should I get attached? 
you know, so. Yeah, it must be very scarring and nerve wracking. And like you said earlier, too, you always have that vague knowledge that something could go wrong. Yeah. And when you said that earlier, I thought like, if I could get pregnant, and I got I did get pregnant, like, that's where I would live. I would live in that fear the whole time. And there are women that are like, I love being pregnant. I'm like, really? Like, why? <laughs> you couldn't drink, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't do anything. <laughs> like, you're going through a very anxiety inducing time and you have no vices. So And haven't we all been a lilac mess in our prom dress? Haven't like, we? Haven't we been a lilac mess yeah. in our prom dress? It's I- so vivid. It's, so, it's such a vivid image. I hate to be a caricature of myself, but because I'm me, I just have to say that when I read this line, a lilac mess in your prom dress, I, of course, always picture Carrie. After getting blood dumped on her, like wondering what the hell just happened and what she did to deserve this, there's something like really vulnerable about that moment in the movie. And I think that's kind of apropos for what's happening here, but. So now we get to the section where the lyrics are not printed in the booklet. And so although we're pretty positive what she's saying, we have to say we have to go on record as saying these aren't official from here on out. And can we all agree? Let's just do a reading of them and let's see if we all agree. I go, I go inside a shell. I see its soul. soul. I've never heard that. I've just heard I see it so. Since she's just kind of improvising, I thought she wasn't necessarily saying anything right there. Like, I I see it, so. so. Okay, let's keep reading them and see if we agree. (laughs) And you're doing oh so well these days. Now stop me if you don't agree. How about that? And you're doing oh so well these days. You do it again, and I say it's coming back again. Something like that. This Saturday, such was it. This is minor, but I've never heard this. I've just heard Saturdays, plural. Really? Oh. Something like that. Saturdays, such was it. Oh, I always hear, I do hear this Saturday. Saturday, such was it. Connie, bring me those jeans. Definitely Connie, not can he, is what I've always I've always heard Connie, because I know about her friend yeah. Connie. What do you think, Laura? Mm-hmm. I heard Kenny. <laughs> Kenny, bring me those jeans. What? Yes, I heard Kenny, bring me those jeans. Like, you're asking for those jeans. You're like, hey, can you bring no. me those? <laughs> I want to wear. Kenny, bring me those jeans. Kenny, bring me Get me Neil on the line. Bring me those jeans. (laughs) I've always heard Connie because I know of her friend Connie like growing up. And then do I hear jeans or chains? Connie doesn't have the jeans, guys. Connie doesn't have these jeans that she needs. How do we know that? What? No. (laughs) She probably loaned her. She loaned them out to Connie and she never got them back. Yeah, I need my jeans back, Connie. That bitch. Or it could be like Alicia said that Connie was bringing her those jeans to school because she couldn't wear them at home, so she had to put them on at school when she wasn't under her father's watchful eye. Bring me jeans. Do you think the name still on the jeans in Silent All These Years is Connie? Right. <laughs> With her name still on it. <laughs> Connie wrote her yeah. own name on Tori's jeans. Keep it back, dead is down. I'm reaching back in. 
it back. Daddy's down preaching again to himself. That's what I hear. You don't hear back? Preaching back into himself. Yeah. So I hear preaching back into himself. No, I hear daddy's down preaching again to himself. Again, again. I mean, I, I can uh. hear that. If you want me to, I can hear that. <laughs> Whatever you want me to hear, I'll hear. <laughs> I'm not going to hear Connie, though. I disagree with that still. I mean, it's possible I'm wrong because I'm listening to it here and it's clearly back into himself. But I swear to God, I have the memory of her saying preaching again. Maybe it's live. Well, when we get to the live section, that might clear things up because she does sing it more often than not the way it is on the record. So I'm sure there are versions where we can really get a clear idea of what she's yeah. singing. And maybe she's articulating a little bit better right. than she does on Which the record. Which is so, it's just frustrating because it's clearly a part of the song. It's sewn into the fabric of the song with all of the other lyrics. So I don't know why it's not printed. It must be. We speculated earlier that she did several different takes of it. Like it was always different. This sort of jam was always different. So they, ne- at the time the lyrics went to print, they weren't sure which ending they were going to use. So it was just like, okay, this part's a jam. And maybe expecting to, as they played it live in the shows, that that part might change. And it wasn't like a set thing in her mind, but it just became a set thing. Or as we do, we can just blame it on the ever-present layout issues. Yeah. <laughs> because the way that the songs are in the booklet, they're in a different order, which she has said doesn't mean anything, that that's just kind of how the layout worked. And if you look at the page Liquid Diamonds is on, it comes second after Pandora. Like, that page is full up. You know what? It's probably something like that symbol because there's a lot of times in the CD booklet that it's like outro or something like that. And it does feel a little... The way the lyrics are laid out, it is a little different. So it could just be the physical. And then in that 2017 version, or maybe before 2017, that you'll go over in the live section, she has that whole other weird ending that I don't know very well. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe that was one of the options. Who knows? Well, Laura, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Do you have anything else you want to tell us about Yamana, Yamoya, or Liquid Diamonds in general? I will say that the Santeria Church says that She's supposed to be the one to cure infertility in women and cowrie shells represent her wealth. So when in that outro portion, when she says, I go inside a shell uh, and I see it full for me, that was another reference to Yumoya. and also the day Saturday, Saturday. And I think I just know this. I saw it online, but I think I just know this because again, in my crazy Catholic upbringing, Saturday is the day that we are supposed to honor Mary and Yamoya also has the same day. It's Saturday. It's supposed to be the Mother's Day. Wow. It's on Saturday. It's supposed to be like when Jesus was in the tomb, he was in there on Saturday, and Mary didn't leave his side. So it was like, so she didn't lose faith on the darkest day. So like the Lord's Day was Sunday, but Mary's Day was Saturday because she sat in the darkness. So that's why, again, I thought for the shells and the Saturday, that was more for me references to Yamoya again that I was like definitely and I also don't think you guys should forget about the and you say lines because I think those are important because I think this is supposed to be like someone said invocation it is an invocation and she's like this is what you say when you're lost you say I guess I'm an underwater thing I can't take it personally I guess that's all I have to say about it (laughs) it's very clear that that's an important linchpin in the song and you say and she holds it out 
You know what I mean? She yeah. really introduces that this is what you say. And, the you know, the fact that I personally, the fact that I ignored it, I didn't ignore no. it. But the fact that it just kind of went over my head for so long, it was like, that's that's a foolish moment on my part. No, I'm so embarrassed. The chorus is so good. The chorus is so fun and everything. It's fun. <laughs> I'm just like, get me there. Get as, me there. Yeah. Who cares who's talking? <laughs> But thank you again for having me. This was so fun. I loved it. And this was very, I was very intimidated because it's such an important song. You did such an amazing job. Oh. Um, you can follow Laura online at non-germain, N-O-N-G-E-R-M-A-N-E. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. Please follow her. Of course, we'll have you on again. This was so much fun. Yeah. Um, any last words of wisdom, thoughts? <laughs> No, I guess everyone should just surrender and go at the bend of the road. Surrender. Oh, yeah. Good. <laughs> it's a horrible good. time right now. We should all just surrender and just deal with what it is. Mm. So now that we've heard from a woman, we're going to hear from a lady. Shaggy, take it away. Posted to Really Deep Thoughts from the Banana Princess. Subject, Liquid Diamonds Update. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that Pragas with the new Tory fanzine, Liquid Diamonds, is coming along great, but I still need your help. To everyone who is sending me artwork snail mails, do not if you can possibly help it. I have access to a better computer now and can get scans of stuff on it put directly into my new software for laying out the magazine. I got Corel Office Plus, which has publishing software and photo editing software in it. So I am now busy starting to lay out the general look of the magazine. Please, if you can volunteer to do any of the following, I would greatly appreciate it. Pictures, concert photos, pics of you meeting Tori, pretty much any pics of Tori, credit will be given where credit is due. Also, if anyone has any suggestions for some really pretty Tory pics to sprinkle throughout the mag, let me know where they can be found or who I need to check with to use them. Poems. All poems must be Tory related or have Tory content. Nice try. Bootleg reviews. I need these bad. Website reviews. I need two or three more. Any other ideas you guys have, please write and let me know. Also, please help support the new mag with the following. Ads. A half inch page is $20. A quarter inch page is $10. An eighth inch page is $5. Classifieds. Create your own category. 30 words is $2. 10 cents per word after 30. Trade lists. $5 gets you up to 10 boots you want and 10 you have plus up to 30 words on your trading rules. Again, thanks to all of you who are already helping out with this. And if you're not, please think of something you could do to help me with. Thanks again, the Banana Princess. Leave it to Shaggy. His voice is like liquid diamonds, David. Oh, man. Flowing into my ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bleeding slowly into my skull. <laughs> Surrender oh, to it. Surrender. Then start your shaggins. <laughs> we are here now to talk about the musical portion. This is our musical section where we talk about chord changes, key changes, chord keys, mm. uh, things like that. And we've brought on an expert. We've brought on Cecily Link for this portion of the show. You can find her at CecilyLink.com. She's a musician and a podcaster in her own right. Hi, Cecily. Hi, Cecily. Hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. A little bit uh, hairy from a move I'm going to be doing in a couple days, but otherwise I'm feeling pretty good. Yay, and I get to cut my door, so of course I'm going to sound extra perky. <laughs> Rumor has it around these parts that you're a Liquid Diamond super fan. 
Indeed I am. And I have a, quite a few thoughts and a little bit of history with the song. Get, lay them on us. So this was actually one of the first songs that grabbed me. I was getting to Tori at the same time as actually another famous redhead, at least famous if you're from France, Milan Farmer. Um, this song in particular really reminded me of a song from Milan's album Anamorphose called Onanisma, which is a play on words with onanism and the word for water being sounding just like the letter O in French. So Liquid Diamonds, it has this very interesting trip hop kind of loop to it that really reminded me of this song from Milan. Like, oh yeah, like French Madonna. This song really reminded me of that, and I, I was really taken in, especially the way she uses her voice in this song, because we don't talk a whole lot about Tori's voice, which is kind of too bad, because I feel like this song, of all the ones on from the Quagro Hotel, this shows off a lot of what she can do with her voice. She can do the ethereal, siren-like things when she's stretching it out, which she, she tends to, like really elongate her words. Sometimes you can't even understand what she's saying half the time when she does that, but it's part of her character of her voice. And she also goes real low. She goes down to, I think I figured out it's an E3 is what she hits on. So I guess I'm an underwater thing, so I guess I can't take it personally. So she gets a real mm-hmm. low note. But then she starts off kind of like mid-range, you know, surrender, then start your engines, slightly going up toward head voice and all this stuff like head voice. And at this point in her career, she had such an ease with the high notes. She could easily go from the high to the low and, and just really give it her all that way. Fireball, I feel like, is a very apt description for this album because she really shows off choir girl type sounds. And my favorite part of the song is when she does, it's a vocal flip where it's on Keep It Just Between Us. range and then she suddenly like goes up to head voice like all within the same syllable and that just that vocal flip and she does that a lot in at this in her career like she she realizes where the breaks in her registers are and she plays with that here this whole time i thought david was the french madonna (laughs) (laughs) well aka madam x so that's an easy mistake to make but (laughs) i do want to say i think you're absolutely right i think this was tori at her peak vocally and i think she herself has and would acknowledge that even during this era i think she even specifically said that's one of the reasons why she wanted to put out a live album to kind of document this period before she needed an oxygen machine next to her at the piano right she would say something like that so i think you're totally right oh that's just her being coy (laughs) you pointed out that she hits some low notes or this is a very low song for her to sing and i'm just as kind of a sneak preview of the live section Eve, do you remember I don't remember Liquid Diamonds becoming more prevalent on Native Invader um, when she was sick and kind of leaning into some lower songs that are easier for her to sing this seems like it would have been an obvious choice but I don't necessarily remember it becoming staple or even that she played it often at all do you remember? Just curious Well, I do remember it becoming more prevalent because whereas she had played it not at all before, she played it one time in San Diego after. So it was more prevalent technically by technical definition. Yes, it was. I was going to say, I seem to remember seeing it in San Diego. So that was the only time. Wow, that's crazy. Hmm. So at this point, we're going to invite Cecily to join us to listen to Yanta's cover of Liquid Diamonds. And we'll just kind of mention some musical moments, anything that that comes to mind as we listen to the track, Cecily, just... Feel free to enlighten us. Sounds good. 
Can we talk about the percussion and that programmed loop for a second? Mm -hmm. I really feel like it does approximate the rhythm of water or the tide. And listening to it, it to me almost sounds like, you know, when you can kind of hear your own blood pounding in your ears. This is a strength Tori has, but particularly during this era, her choices as a producer, I think, highlight the personality of the song or its own brand of storytelling, I guess, sonically. Like these songs all really have a unique personality. piano we've talked about it before you know, on the show that a lot of her piano is counter to what she's singing and it's totally that like i can hear what it's supposed to be in my head because i've listened to the song so much it's practically a part of my soul but like melodically it's just so counter to anything singing rhythmically Like, that just has such a different feel to what she's playing. And that she's able to just do those two things at the same time, amazing. Oh, we mentioned earlier in the show, but to my knowledge, this is the only song in her entire catalog with a fade up. And it's also very, very rare that yeah. she has a fade out, too. So. Sometimes you just don't come through. Yeah, and I hear it. I guess, yeah, I guess I'm an underwater thing. I can't even hit those low If I hit it, even a chocolate, I can get that low, but no. The song is so amorphous, it and is. I love that, like, even though there are sections to this song, even though there's, like, a clear chorus and a clear bridge, like, they just kind of meld into each other. It's not, you know. And then this is the part where she goes into actually singing the title which is about almost two and a half minutes into the, into the song. It feels like a lot of vamping to me. It just feels like a lot of grace notes filling in spaces, just kind of jamming. I agree, and you can almost hear the fun she was having. I imagine at this point it was just yeah. she and Matt. Maybe this was one of the first songs they did. It's loose. They were kind of just jamming and establishing that relationship that they had. Oh, wait, we got a little change. And now we got, the, you know, Calling for My Soul, which is like, okay, melodically has nothing whatsoever to do with the previous section. Do you think this was improv? I think this is improv. I, I I think this was like something she was just jamming with the band.
and here we get back to the, you know, I guess I'm an underwater thing, and it's low. It's like she's making her voice sound like it's underwater, like you're way down at the bottom of the ocean or something. I love that imagery that she is sinking to the bottom of the ocean to get to those notes. I love mm-hmm. that. This is obviously a lot more fleshed out and fully realized, but to me there are shades of her cover of Sandwich Song. That's what I like, Mick, here. Jazzy, loungy, you think? Cheese and onion sandwiches and underwater things. No. <laughs> I, I think this part must have been totally improv and completely jaunty and like, whatever comes to her head. She does keep returning to like a boom, boom. Like in her left hand there, probably like doubling up. She she loves lower end of the piano. Who doesn't? Oh, yeah. Oh my god, it's so beautiful. Just listening to just I mean, I love it with her voice, but the piano is just you realize just how amazing she is as a songwriter. Her song structures are so elastic. And you also see that in this song where like it does have like a verse in a bridge and a chorus, but then we also have like two or three bridges and she loves her bridge. Ooh boy, she loves her bridge. Truly an amazing talent. Here we decree. And as is Yanta, he's also an amazing talent. And you can find him at patreon.com slash Yanta. Please go over there and support him. That's Y-A-N-T-A. You ain't not Tori Amos. And you can find Cecily Link on Twitter at Cecily Link. You can go to her website, Cecily Link. That's link with an E at the end. Cecily Link. Dot com. Where else can they follow you, Cecily, if they wanted to stalk you? <laughs> well, if you want to stalk me, you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Cecily Music. And I also have a uh, podcast myself. Um, I am going song by song through the catalog of Kate Bush. Mm, what's it called? Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. And you can get it on iTunes. And um, you can follow that at Strange Kate Cast and on Facebook, Kate Bush Podcast. Strange Phenomenon Podcast. Get into it. Get crucial. David, get into it. <laughs> I am into it. Get critical. Critical. <laughs> ma- reach critical mass. <laughs> Cecily, thanks for being on the show. We'll have you on again. Thanks, Cecily. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Bye. 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 This is the Shiva remix of Liquid Diamonds. I don't know who did it, but I sure wish I did. You can find this on our remix archive on our website, songsoftoryamus.com. <laughs>
final stop to becoming women, we've invited a super fan of Liquid Diamonds. Her name is Pamela, and she's a home health care provider out of Sacramento and a lifelong Tory fan. She's a Liquid Diamond stan, and she's here to help us complete our journey. Right, Pamela? Absolutely. Hi, guys. Hi, Pamela. Hi, Pamela. I'm on the brink of womanhood. I'm blossoming. This is going to push me over the edge. Make a woman <laughs> out of me. I will try my best. Okay, good. So, Pamela, tell us a little bit about you. What's your Tori story? Tell us everything. So, um, I found Tori hanging out with a friend, probably in about junior high, and she had an older sister, a lot cooler than us, playing. Uh, ended up being Little Earthquakes. I was like, what is this? This is really good. Um, she told me the artist. I went home. I forgot about it. So, years <laughs> later, I'm watching Beavis and Butthead, of all things, and Crucify <laughs> comes on. And I was like, wow, that's that song. And then I saw her. She just captivated me. Her whole look, the close-ups, the red hair, the piano. I, um, I waited and waited till the end of the video to see who it was. Um, I got her name again, and I went right out and bought Little Earthquakes. So for about three months, I played Crucify on repeat and never listened to the rest of the album. And That's then, like David. That, you yep. and David have the same story. I know. I was going to say, I feel like you're stealing my story, but you can have it. It's okay. Sorry. I just, that song was so new to me and it was, um, it was everything. So I didn't really, really listen to the rest until one day I let it play. And yeah, you know what happened then? It was, then it went to, you know, full blown obsession. Mm. But I think by then she had had um, up until Boys for Pele. So I bought everything and then became completely obsessed. What is it about Liquid Diamonds that drew you in? Was it uh, an immediate grab when you heard Choir Girl or was it, is it one of those songs that has grown on you over time? It was definitely a grower because it's, you know, it starts out very slow. And when I first heard all of Choir Girl, there were so many distinct moments that were different than what she'd done before. So I was fixated on Spark and Cruel and Raspberry. And then one day uh, Liquid was on and just the piano comes in and it just grabbed me and I just kept listening and it became my favorite. The darkness of it, the moodiness of it, the lushness of the piano, the lyrics, it just became favorite. What's your favorite lyrical moment in the song? And David, you and I didn't talk about this earlier, so we'll have to answer as well. Okay. Okay. Probably calling for my soul. Gosh, that's just wow. And then when, when that part comes in, it's so unexpected and it just kind of hits you. And then also um, Lilac Mess in your progress is just so memorable. What about you guys? Well, I love the whole breakdown at the end, the, yeah. the Saturdays, such was it, mm -hmm. like all of that. I mean, I guess that would be my favorite vocal moment would be that whole breakdown at the end. But my favorite lyrical moment, I guess the one that grabbed me at first is if your friends don't come back to you and you know this is madness, that is just like, ah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I really felt that growing up. Like losing my friends was like the worst thing that I could imagine happening. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought I had my answer ready to go. And then hearing you guys, I'm like, I want that one. No, that one. That one. But <laughs> I'll stick with my originals, which are, I love the chorus of, I guess I'm an underwater thing, so I guess I can't take it personally. I feel that. And also... Really? Yeah. And also calling for my soul at the corners of the world. So what's your favorite musical moment, Pamela? <laughs> um, definitely the piano. The intro with the drum is so beautiful. And then that piano comes in and it just... It just grabbed me, and that little part, dun, dun, da, 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 I guess, right before I guess oh, I'm yeah. an underwater thing, that, that piano yeah. is just 
it's just heartbreaking and lush. And I think this song is so different for her. It's so dark and it creates a lot of imagery that it just reminds me of the water. And I, you could tell this song is about heartbreak, real heartbreak. Do you ever go to this song for like your own personal healing or, you know, like some of Tori's music has really helped me through some specific times in my life. And I'm yeah. not asking you to share those, but like, do you ever look to this song for something like that? Absolutely. I, this song creates a calming effect for me. Yeah, it just centers me. Have you heard it live or requested it at any point? I have heard it live. Um, it seems like she does it every time she's on the West Coast. I'm, I've been lucky. I haven't really had to request it. Um, it just kind of shows up. That's obviously uh, intentional, but I planned on requesting it last tour in 2017 and I started talking to her and we started talking about a different song and it slipped my mind and I didn't hear it last year or last tour but what shows did you go to um I went to London I actually we flew overseas I went to London uh, Manchester and Glasgow and then um I went to yeah that was that was the first time I was able to go overseas to see her and then I went to Oakland and I was supposed to go to LA um I don't want to talk about that. I have the hugest oh, FOMO no. for missing those three shows. But oh, no. I know. And our dance party. Yes, I know. And then she did it in San Diego, I believe, last tour. Yeah, yeah. she did. Yeah. Are you team band or team solo in general, but specifically as it pertains to Liquid Diamonds? If you had your druthers and you could get it any way you want it, what would you choose? Band. Band all the way. You got to have Matt on drums. It yes. just completes it. Um, I think my favorite arrangement was from the Scarlet tour with oh, really? uh, Matt and John. Yeah, she did it um, in San Francisco at the Bill Graham, and it just it was a really special performance. I go back to that bootleg a lot. Now, we've talked a lot about on this episode about what liquid diamonds are. What do you think liquid diamonds are? When I first heard this song, I assumed it was about the miscarriage, and I assumed like the, the precious leaving her um, flowing from her. Then it kind of dawned on me that it, she, it could be the water, the moon on the water, li- liquid diamonds, um, the ocean. But then one day I thought about tears as well. So I think it's maybe a combination of all three. Uh, I like all three of those images. I think that all three of those work with this song. I love that you say the moonlight on the water, like the reflecting mm-hmm. light, the shimmering light, that it like mm-hmm. diamonds, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. sparkles. Yeah. What do you think, David? I agree. And I think it holds all three or it has the potential to hold all three. That's the magic of Tori. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. It, it's such an um, image-evoking song. I mean, much, much like most of her music. I know that I've read a, a quote where she talks about this song being um, not being able to fulfill herself. To me, it has to do with the miscarriage and her pain. And that's kind of where I hold this song. And then the, you know, the, the underwater thing, and, you know, it goes back to the mermaids and it's such a quintessential Tory song to me, but so different. I think to understand this song, you have to go to a place of darkness. And I know that that's easy to do with Tory songs. And um, it's such an emotional album for her. It's such an emotional journey this album and I think that it still holds up today and it it will always be my favorite album.
Pamela, thank you so much for being on our show. You can follow Pamela on Instagram at LadySparrow97. I hope that you had a good time as we did. We are going to do the live section. We're going to try out our newfound womanhood, just us, David. We're going to strike out on our own. I wish you all the luck finding that. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, we that's need really it. sweet. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Follow her on Instagram, and we'll be right back with our live section. Bye. Bye. This is the Hyper 8-Bit remix of Liquid Diamonds by Daryl Banner. You can find us on our show notes at songsoftoryamus.com. the song you you want a shape that's very um, pointed sometimes you want it to be like a bleeding watercolor coming out of your speakers and that really depends on who the song is how she wants to be romanced by us as the players well we're nearing the end of our journey David do you feel like a woman yet I do. I'm ready to take my womanhood out on the road. How about you? Yes, let's take our womanhood on tour. Should we decide who's going to be the virgin and who's going to be the whore? No, I don't think we need to. I think we know. Okay. Um, <laughs> so let's start with 1998. Makes sense. <laughs> exactly. In 1998, Toramas performed this song 62 times on the Plugged Tour. Should we listen to the first time she ever performed it? Do we have it? Yes. Okay. It just occurred to me, David, that I haven't pulled that joke on you in quite some time. I know, but, <laughs> but I'm you're always... still shell-shocked. I'm primed and ready for it. I have PTSD. I don't want to say yes. <laughs> this is Fort Lauderdale, Florida, April 18th, 1998, the first time Tori did it. Okay. you've noticed david and audience that the very first time she ever plays a song live i like to play the very first moments of it like it's the birth right it's the birthing into the world yes the crowning of liquid diamonds exactly and very true to what i think it was alicia earlier who said that every intro is a little different like that one starts out just kind of it's just an improvisation at the top and i love it i love it yeah, you know she was having a lot of fun with the band, particularly on this song, because it did give her so much room to improvise and really be a player, and you know she felt like the front woman of a band, and she was living for it. Yeah. This song came right out the gate in the very first show, and was very present in that sneak peek tour, mm-hmm. you know? So here's April 26th, 1998, also on the club tour. This is from Philadelphia, and you can... I'm going to play the little breakdown at the end, because I think we can once and for all put to rest... Team Connie or Team Can He? Yes. 
We will let Connie speak for herself. often I've gone back to that Philly show to prove a point. How often? <laughs> Every day of your goddamn life. Truly, like, more times than I can count or would seem logical. Mm-hmm. Like, how, what points are you having to prove that only the Philly 98 show could prove? <laughs> and that was one. Connie. Team Connie all the way. And Team <laughs> Upkin. On June 2nd, 1998, Tori performed the song in London, England. Let's play that, David. Okay. Ew, David. Yo, uh, David. Likewood. some improvisational moments in the song built into the song um, like moments to improvise and moments to kind of vamp and play around and really just kind of get into it the song really retained its structure like for example that part that we think was born of improv in the studio and we believe that there was never a take that was the same that kind of stayed the same throughout the tour yeah do you think this song, or at least that portion of it, were a little bit like Marianne or Bells for her, where she had to go back and learn it? Yeah, or Not the Red Baron, which was completely born in the moment and then never, ever changed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's almost afraid, like with those moments of creative spark or like these transmissions from another place, she's afraid to ever mess with them. I actually think that's kind of true. Like she feels like she receives something in its purest form and she's like, better not screw it up. So I'm just going to keep playing it the same way. Yeah, might as well not. I think of those that you cited, probably Bells for Her is the one that she tinkers with the most. Though she doesn't change the structure, she just changes the instrumentation and the presentation like harpsichord with the band, etc. I think you're right. Like better not mess it up. Take it easy. This is Albuquerque, 1998, my first time seeing Liquid Diamonds, and I loved this show. This show is so spot on. Yes. Peggy? 
I, or Piggy? It could be any number of things. Listening to this performance, I feel like Tori had no fucks left to give. <laughs> she forgot who brought her the goddamn jeans. She did. It could be Piggy. Maybe she's referencing Trent Reznor yet again. It could be Peggy, as in Peggy from Cooling. Peggy Ann, who's always patching jeans, bringing jeans. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. And that lends credence. That supports our theory that it's Connie. If she can easily transplant the name to Peggy, who is friends with Connie, right? They were all a girl group back in the day. Peggy, Connie, and the jeans. It's true. And can I just say, I think we're going from theory to fact. It's Connie. <laughs> it just is. Yeah, it's Connie. Come on. <laughs> if you're holding on to can there's nothing else we can do for you. Connie, ew, Connie. Ew, Connie. Um, okay, so we've been saying how this whole improv section kind of didn't change throughout the tour, but finally, at the end of the tour, she started loosening it up. It actually started September 26th in San Diego. Roll it, Ollie. Listen to this show, David. Memphis, October 7th. You ready to go down south? I'm already there, but let's go. Uranus, you've been down south. I'm spinning it tight down south. I always do. Oh, those were on fire. Mmm. That's some good diamonds. Extinguish me. This is November 29th, 1998 in Columbus, Ohio. This is the last time Tori did it on this tour.
I do think it's a little strange that this song disappeared at the end of the tour and that it didn't appear at either of the two last shows because I think she was so fond of it and she was really showcasing songs that the band enjoyed playing together. And I would assume this would be on that list yeah. for sure, but apparently I was wrong. Yeah. Maybe there were just so many that they enjoyed playing together. That's true. My standout memory yeah. of Liquid Diamonds on this tour is from Santa Barbara because she closed the show with it and she never did that before and she never did it again and it felt very strange at the time and like the disco balls came down that she usually used for horses and we're like, oh, it's going to be horses. But nope, it was Liquid Diamonds. Let's play that. Let's just go ahead. Let's play it a little out of order. Who cares? It's our show. We could do whatever we want. Yeah, this song's running. We're running. This is September 20th. 20th, 1998 in Santa Barbara. So you mentioned that it disappeared at the end of the 98 tour. Not only did it disappear from the end of the tour, it disappeared from the next two tours. She didn't play it in 1999. She didn't play it in 2001. Mm -mm. Uh, her solo tour, Strange Little Tour. It only came back when she brought the band back on Scarlet's Walk. As we've talked about, a lot of the songs from Choir Girl disappeared on the To Dallas and Back tour and the Five and a Half Weeks tour. It seemed like she needed a little bit of a break. And I also feel like at this point, she definitely wanted this song to live with the band. So I'm not surprised that she didn't play mm -hmm. it again until Scarlet's Walk when she had that kind of jazz trio lineup. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's obviously in her mind a band song. It's something that they can jam on together. She probably really relies on the loop coming in mm -hmm. to improvise against that, I think is a really important moment in the song for her. I can see why she might not want to do it solo yet. Obviously, now she can do anything. But then it was probably linked up very closely to Matt Chamberlain. Yeah. Take us there, Scarlet. Speedwalk. The first time she did it in 2002 was in Denver, Colorado on December 5th. It was the first time Liquid Diamonds appeared since 1998. Roll it, Ollie. I think this song translated very well to this new band lineup. 
and I don't necessarily miss the guitar. I think it really works. What do you think? I think this is probably one of the more successful of the plugged songs to yeah. translate. It still felt like a epic groove. It still felt like they were really vibing with each other. Mm-hmm. So I have to agree. I didn't necessarily miss the guitar here. Mm-hmm. Epic groove. Don't disturb this groove. Don't disturb these vibes. Chill vibes only. <laughs> I don't say it often enough, but that was actually an amazing show. And for me, having gone through the whole first leg of the tour, this was the first time that I I really felt like I was being taken on that journey. I always talk about this, but that's the winter carbon twinkle secret time. Mm-hmm. And when Liquid Diamonds, like your cloud, and then when Liquid Diamonds came out, I was like, this makes so much sense, I get it. <laughs> Even though that show, to me, I don't know if we've talked about it, but how the first leg of Scarlet's Walk was a little bit rushed, and so they ended up booking bigger venues than they would normally have. And this was one of those venues. We did not talk about that. This ended up being, it was like an amphitheater, but she still made it feel so intimate, David. Mm, as she often does. Yes, it's her liquid demons. This is December 21st, 2002 from San Francisco. This is for our friend Pamela, Lady Sparrow 97. Winter Solstice. especially in the second leg. And this is the last time she did it on the Scarlet's Walk Tour again in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Again. Mm. Something about that city. Couldn't be further from the ocean. But we know sorrow. Yeah. <laughs> New Mexico knows sorrow. Good point. This is April 21st, 2003. <laughs> Last time she would play it in 2002-2003 was on August 28th in Virginia Beach, Virginia at the Verizon Wireless Amphitheater, but we don't have a recording for that. So the last recording we have is August 24th, 2003 in Boston.
2005, she performed this song 17 times. Would you like to hear the first time she did it on Saturday, May 14th, 2005 in Sydney, Australia? Let me just say this. Let me cut to the chase. Let me save us all some time. I would like to hear the first time that she played it that we actually have a recording of. How about that? This is May 18th, 2005 in Melbourne, Australia. The third time she played it solo. Buckle up, everyone. This is going to be a long one because she improvises at the beginning. And here's what I think. I think the improv has this kind of repetitive quality because she associates the song with that loop. That's what I think. getting interesting finally just kidding but this is getting interesting because we've gone from her refusing flat out refusing i have to believe to play this song solo and now she can't stop herself 17 times on this solo tour that's wild this is july 3rd 2005 in modena italy
couldn't stop improvising with this song, David. God, she couldn't. Here is a very special moment in her career. This is July 10th, 2005 from Istanbul, Turkey at the Istanbul Jazz Festival. going to play any song at a jazz festival it should be liquid diamonds i agree and it was this song has never been played in radio broadcasts or like promo that we could find you know she's never like played it on tv or never played it on the radio but there was a radio broadcast of a show and it's present on there would you like to hear yes please june 28th frankfurt germany please <laughs> sprackenzie diamonds to say though i am team band always and forever dying on that cross this is one of those songs that i really appreciate solo i agree and you know that uh the cross i'm dying on is team solo always and forever but i really feel like any song that features tori as a player is what i show up for and this is one of those songs for sure so this is august 30th 2005 in cleveland ohio with a little bit of a different improv in the beginning So after having the room to really expand the song, the band comes back in 2007 and she sort of recommits the song to its album structure 19 times on this tour. What do you yeah. think? 
Welcome back, boys. And do you know which doll performs Liquid Diamonds? I have to imagine or just remember. I don't have to imagine. Remember. That... <laughs> I have to imagine that I recall. Yeah. I'm remembering that it was, in fact, Tori herself. But let's play one of our favorite games. If it was going to belong to a different doll, oh. who would it be? When Alicia cast Clyde in the role of Liquid Diamonds, she couldn't have been more spot on. I don't know. I would give it to Santa. It's too sexy. This song isn't sexy. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. You know when you find out what someone finds sexy? What is it, the lilac dress that you find so hot, David? It's always shocking when you find out what someone else finds sexy, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, is it the sexiest thing trust, though? Is it? Not at the Eagle. No. <laughs> I don't trust anyone there. This is the first time she performed it in 2007, back with the band. This is May 28th, 2007 in Roma. Mm. Mama, oh mama. If you want more from the 2007 Liquid Diamonds, you can go out and buy all the legs and boots. And I think you should. It's on a lot of them. And they're all still on iTunes. Mm. But moving on to 2009, Tori performed this song 10 times in 2009. And you know what I heard about it? What did you hear? I heard that it was sinful and attractive. Mm-hmm. She took notes from me. This is the first time she played it on that tour. This is July 14th, 2009 in San Jose. Here's a performance of Liquid Diamonds with a little bit of a, you know, a snafu. This is August 4th, 2009 in Milwaukee. She did not perform the song at all in the Midwinter Graces tour or the 2010 summer tour, but she did bring it back twice solo in 2011 on the Night of Hunters tour. Why didn't she work this up with a quartet? Wouldn't it have been beautiful? 
It certainly would have. It would have shimmered with opulence. I think back in the 90s or early aughts when we were clamoring for Tori to do something with an orchestra or with a symphony, this is kind of what we wanted it to be dark and we wanted it to like songs like this to appear. Mm-hmm. Well, she gave us Cruel and that was as good as it was going to get. And to be fair, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was really good. This is October 2nd, 2011 in Moscow, Russia. Our mother nation. She skipped it entirely in 2012 on the Gold Dust Tour and brought it back in 2014 for the Unrepentant Geraldine's Tour. She brought it back 12 times. Did you see it, David? I did see it. I specifically remember it on her birthday. It came back with a vengeance. She was like, I'm in my 50s. I'm in a puzzle. I'm going to play whatever the hell I want and not apologize for crap. These hormones are flowing out of me like liquid diamonds. I'm going to play thank you and then follow it with thank you. You're welcome. I mean, that is a brilliant moment in her career. So let's play it from that show then. August 22nd, 2014 in Clearwater, Florida on her birthday. This is Liquid Diamonds. David was in the audience. much it for Liquid Diamond. She performed it one final time after that in 2017's Native Invader Tour, which brought the total number of Liquid Diamond performances to 153 times. Mm, A century and a half. You go, Liquid Diamonds. You flow, girl. You flow, girl. (laughs) So let's play that last performance. This is San Diego, California, November 28th. On my mom's birthday, she loves to play this song on my parents' birthdays. Oh, and coincidentally, I was in the front row for this performance of Liquid Diamonds, and I also shrieked. Liquid diamonds in your hearts I feel us holding 
This is Up the Creek, The Boy Who Can Remix. We found this on SoundCloud. You can also find it on our show notes page, songsoftoryamis.com. Please follow him and support him, The Boy Who Can Remix, Up the Creek. David, we've made it through this liquid. We sure have. Can I tell you a sea secret? Because I got one in me. How long have you been sitting on that one? I don't know. Two and a half hours, maybe three. Depending on how it edits down. Yeah. <laughs> I've been holed up in a room that does not belong to me while I've been recording this episode. And to my left, I'm extending my arm, which you can't see me doing, but I am. There's a stack of books with their spines facing me. And the one that is the most prominent that I've been staring at periodically this entire time is entitled Sea Power and Its Meaning. So I think we've really tapped into the energy of liquid diamonds. And do you think that we have determined what sea power is and determined its meaning also. I think this episode has really brought us to that sea power. I feel like we got a lot of really great information from all the wonderful voices that we had on the show today, things that we might not have understood otherwise. Yeah, I feel very connected to the song in a way that I had never felt before. I mean, we joke about being brought to our womanhood, but we really just want to be brought to our sea power. For sure. And like, besides, we all know we became women during the Boys for Pele era. You can only do it once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you like what we're doing, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Songs of where you can support us there, get exclusive access to other podcasts that we create, Drive All Night Plus, where we're still working through the earthquakes, and Tour All Year, where we're interviewing Mary Kirk Pollard next. She's our next interview. So head over to patreon.com slash Songs of to subscribe and become a supporter today. If you really want to hear more from us, you can head over to our social media, at Songs of on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Send us an email, songsoftoryamus at gmail.com. Call us, 323-296-9955. Listen to our daily show, Never Shut Up. What else can they do? Go to songsoftoryamus.com and subscribe to our newsletter. What else can they do, David? Stalk us. Become us. Wear our skin. <laughs> Wear my face. My beautiful face. Let's really lean into the decadence of the whole Choir Girl Plugged era. Let's do some Coke. I want to do some lines of Coke. I want to do lines of Diet Coke. That's all I want. I've been doing that the whole time. But now it's time to move on to She's Your Cocaina. Uh, yeah. How far we've come, David, from our Coke days to our Coke Zero days. Yeah. <laughs> we're used up party girls now. How the now. mighty have fallen. Uh-huh. We were wild. Where are we now? Stuck in 1998, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the show. Reach out to us if you want to chat. Bye. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamus.com.